I'm an unapologetic America first conservative. And I'll tell you this about our movement. It is bigger than one man. It is bigger than me. It is bigger than Donald Trump. It's certainly bigger than Ron DeSantis. It's even bigger than the Republican Party. I mean, putting America first is really a nationalistic idea. It's a different kind of idea. But in America, nationalism means not rallying around one particular ethnicity or one particular type of cuisine or even or even particular king or religion, for that matter. It means rallying around the set of ideals that set this nation into motion 250 years ago. And to put America first, we need to rediscover what America is. That is why I'm in this race. You know, talk about the case for my candidacy. That's actually a big part of what today's podcast is going to be about. I'm in deep conversation with Tim Poole for you know a really long amount of time. I don't know how long this thing's going to end up being. But the question is, why am I running when the likes of Donald Trump, who set the America First movement into motion, are already in this race? Here's the answer. I'm in this race to take the America First agenda further than Donald Trump ever took it. Okay, how could that be? My view is we can go further if we're doing it based on moral authority, moral conviction on first principles rather than just grievance and vengeance. A professional politician, a career politician like Ron DeSantis simply isn't going to do that. He's not going to get that job done. But if we're doing this based on first principles, kind of like Reagan did in 1980, we can go even further than Trump did. That will take an outsider. But I think it takes an outsider who is on more than just a personal vendetta, going for more than just personal vengeance or grievance. And I say this as somebody who respects Donald Trump. I voted for him in 2020. He's a friend. I respect what he did for this country. But you only get to be an outsider once. I've got fresh legs under me. And today, I'm going to go into depth, most importantly, about what it means to be an outsider like Trump or myself versus an entire class of professional career politicians. But even more importantly, why it takes a particularly fresh outsider who's operating based on moral conviction. And you know what? As part of that journey, get to the heart of what it even means to be an American. That's what I'm going to talk to my friend Tim Poole about. And I don't know if he's going to be a supporter of me or not. It doesn't matter. He's a smart guy who cares about the same issues that I do, about getting to the heart of reviving our national identity as a country. And you know what? If we figure figure that out, I don't care who wins this election. That's what this is all about. We're hanging out with Vivek Ramaswamy. How's it going, man? I appreciate that, man. You got that. You nailed that pronunciation. I, tr- I, I tried. I respect that. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> well, we that's had good. you on Timcast IRL before. It was fun. And before I had you on the show, I was saying Vivek. And everybody says Vivek because it's just, I don't know, anglicized or whatever. But I then, would also say that's very fair because it is spelled V-I-V-E-K. So yeah. that is a pretty phonetic pronunciation. But the way it's pronounced is Vivek. There we go. I think we set the record straight for everybody who's been following along. But uh, you're running for president, huh? Yeah. It's been about all of of six weeks now. It's been going pretty well. Yeah, five weeks maybe, six weeks. I got a million and one questions, but let's just jump into it. Uh, Republican? Republican. Why? What's going on? Republican and why Republican or why president or all all of it? it, Yeah, I mean, look. So politics is not my world. I'm not a politician. I was in the world of, we can talk about, I was in the world of business and biotech you know, ended up transitioning from that to writing books about our culture. Still didn't think that partisan politics was where it was at for me. But my basic reason for being in this is I think we're in the middle of this national identity crisis. 
We're lost. I have, I have, a, I have a more extreme way we're, of describing it, I suppose. But you know, continue. yeah. I mean, I, I'm trying to. I'm just trying to keep it positive here. Right. Trying to keep, but but but, but I, think like, the, I think the truth of it is, yeah. I mean, we're say it how you will, harshly, not harshly. We're lost. We're a people war. lost in the desert. We're both 37. Yeah. Okay. Yes. When's, people, when's, when's your birthday? August 9th. Oh, March 9th. Okay. Hey, got the nine thing going. All right. Yeah. So I guess that makes I gotta. It's it's like early in the morning. Gotta like just like think about this. Okay. So that makes us like six months apart or something, something like, like that. that. Yeah. Yeah. Six months. So yeah, five months. Something like that. Wow. Uh, six months. So whatever. As people our generation, what does it mean to be American today? Like you, you walk to somebody. What does it mean to be American? For you me, get a blank stare in response. What, what does it mean to be American? Oh to you? man, it, it's a it's it's a belief in power from the masses. To be an American represents. The will of the people, the consent of the governed, belief in community, personal responsibility, individual individuality, meritocracy, freedoms, liberties. I would simplify it all the way down to the rights of the individual as it comes together to form the greater community. So I view being American as a variety of things. That's the simple ideological view. And then the, the more subjective view, I suppose, is a connection with our history, of course, mm -hmm. belief in the vision of the founding fathers and the progress that has been made over the past several hundred years to do away with awful things like racism, ex uh, uh, attaining amazing things like civil rights. The being American is to strive to for people. Uh, it's life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, mm -hmm. as our founding fathers envisioned, and the pursuit of improving upon that system, doing away with the, the bad and building upon the good. Then you can get into the granular and say a core tenet of this country has always been individuality, meritocracy, yep. personal responsibility that, that, you know, I'll, I'll leave it there. Otherwise, I'm going to go on for an hour. Well, I mean, we could go on for days about yeah. it. But there, so just pick up off two strands of what you said there. OK, American identity is a complicated thing. One of the things that you said in the first part of that answer is the individual, but tying it in to a whole that's greater than some of its yep. some of its parts. That's the biggest thing for me. And that's the conflict. It's not a conflict, but that's the tension at the heart of the American identity that causes us to struggle with this because there's part of each of us that wants to be the individualist, the rugged individual pursuing our version of the American dream best manifest through free market capitalism. And, and you know, Republicans and conservatives like to lean into that. Like that's the part, the rugged individual. That's yeah. me. And, and, I, and I've lived that dream. I mean, that's important to me. It's important to you. It's a big part of what it means to be American. But we don't admit often what the other side embraces. They reject the rugged individual and say there's this collectivist identity and what it means to be American is a member of this collective. And, and I think the unique thing about what it means to be American is it's both of those things at once, individualism and unity, right? The American dream, capitalism, and being part of a self-governing constitutional republic. Yeah. Both of those are what it means to be American. And they run roughshod over each other from time to time. But anyway, I'm on this but quest I, to rediscover American identity. That, that, that's a part of it. Then you've got the you've got the you know the part relating to excellence and meritocracy and the set of ideals that set the nation into motion. That that's deeply that, important to me. That's where I think the real divide is. I don't think the divide, like with Democrats and Republicans, is collectivists versus individualists. A lot of people frame it that way, and I, I don't see it that way. They view leftists and Democrats as the collective and conservatives as, and, and libertarians. It's reductionist. That's not really where it's at. Yeah. It's, 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 I, I don't know if it's reductionist. I think it misses the point. Conservatives obviously band together. They're doing a big boycott of Anheuser-Busch right now. They're all, you know, Kid Rock's firing a gun at Bud Light because he knows that among his community, this resonates. It yep. means something to him. It means something to you. That is something part of the greater. 
the the people on the right absolutely believe in the American government, the Constitution and all that stuff. And then there's this view of, of the, the culture war, the civil cold civil war, whatever yep. you want to call it, as if it's these two things. But I, I, I don't see it that way at all. I don't see any ideological drive among the the left. And I, I you know, the funny thing is. Many of these these commentators and these leftists will argue that I'm biased and I'm right wing and all that. And I absolutely disagree. I believe that my view is I wouldn't ever claim to be omniscient. I would just say moderately objective. <laughs> but yeah. what, I, what, I'm, what I mean by that is I'm not a conservative. Yeah. I've never been a conservative. I have many liberal leaning views and many I, I believe many things the left would completely agree with, but they would still attack me anyway mm-hmm. because the left is not ideologically driven. It is, I would describe it as not, it's, it's almost, I guess it's, it's pure collectivism and nothing else. Mm. It is quite literally, you adhere to what the left wants and that's all that matters. And the best example of this, the way it's been described to me is if you are someone who's on the left in this culture war, as people describe it, and you deviate on leftist economic policy, they don't care. If you're on the left and you say, actually, I don't I don't necessarily believe in universal health care. I think maybe we should have, you know, strong insurance, but like reform, they're going to say, OK, fine. Yeah. But if you say I have questions about the transgender stuff, they're going to say you're a far right. You're a white supremacist. Get out. So what's driving them doesn't seem to be necessarily anything other than falling in line with their version of the status quo of, of what their group deems at the time. And the important factor there is that it changes all the time. So, so, so the question is whether you describe that, and both can be true, like cynically as a top-down collectivist and or command and control project that de- demands a form of conformity. And I think there's an element of that. But And this gets to the heart of why I'm running for president on this American identity campaign that I'm on is I think the, the good-hearted version of it, right, just as take the, the earnest version of this, is actually what's going on in the American left is a big part of what's going on across the country is that we're just – you have a lot of people who are hungry for a cause. Oh, okay, yeah. People who are lost in the desert, like I said, hungry for purpose and meaning and identity. The things that human beings have always been hungry for, by the way. But they're not filling that hunger anymore with pick your favorite value, faith, God, patriotism, national identity. Adventure. Adventure, a yep. sense of even hard work, actually. I mean, look at oh, you. Yeah. I mean, you created something here. Right. In my life, it looks very different, but I've, I've created things. You can derive, you build something with your hands, whatever it is. You work hard and create something. That's a source of identity. You know, your family, for many people, is a source of identity. The two parents that brought me into this world. When those things disappear, you have this black hole of a vacuum. And that's why, you know what, healthcare policy or whatever doesn't fill the vacuum of purpose. But believing in a quasi-religious structure, which is what the trans movement is all about, or the woke movement, or the climate movement, or the COVID movement, that is actually the reason that becomes the third rail for kicking you out of the tribe, is that that's touching a place in your heart that you were long missing. And, and healthcare policy or economic policy doesn't do that. So that explains, I think, the distinction you see when you abandon the religious structure that otherwise gave them that sense of security that they were missing. If you rip that away and take that away and say that trans is a mental illness or whatever, that's actually why you get the reaction that you do. I'm going to nerd out and confuse some people, but I have to do it. All right, do you watch anime or manga at all? I, it's not. No, not my cup of tea. Dane's in the he's chilling. He's laughing. Okay. Uh, 
there's like a, the Japanese cartoon stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. There's no. a there's a uh, comic, Japanese comics and cartoons, yeah. uh, show called Bleach. Okay, and it's about um, in this world there are death gods, grim reapers. Okay, that have to save fairy souls to the other side, but if a soul becomes wayward, they become what's called a hollow. A hollow. A hollow, and they are Is that a Japanese word. No, no, hollow. Oh, oh, uh, like hollow. Hollow, as in, as in, something's missing oh, from your a core. Hollow, H O L L O W. Yep. Okay, got it. <laughs> and uh, as, as if to say, there is nothing within. Uh-huh. And these creatures actually have holes in their chests mm. or at some part of their body. They are hollow. They are they have they have lost something. And so, people who souls who 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 fail to to move on become hollow. And as you describe this, and as I've viewed it before, I'm like, it really does feel like many of these people are hollow within. And that's a dangerous vulnerability, right? Because that's a vacuum. That means that's an open space for someone else or something else to prey upon. And when you use the word hollow, the hole, uh, you're familiar with maybe a quote from, I'll geek out in a different direction, but Blaise Pascal, uh, he's a famous mathematician, scientist, you know, French guy. He had a famous famous quote, all-time quote, which wasn't related to his main disciplines of, of math or science. It was related to God where he said, you have a hole the size of God in your heart and God doesn't fill it. Something else will instead. Yeah. And, and it's again, this notion of the hollow. And, and I just think that's what's going on in the country. And I'll go one step further with the American left right now. I was, I was thinking about this last night when I got a, got a text from a good friend of mine, you know, my former colleague and, and long time, even a college near classmate, we overlapped in college. And I get a text from him last night and he was pissed about all the things I've been saying about the trans movement recently. I, I may say, if I may say this myself, I don't think any of it's offensive. I think I believe that every human being deserves dignity. And I think that that strand has been true through everything I've said, but among other things, my vehemence, and I'm vehement on this, that gender dysphoria and the modern trans movement represents a manifestation of a mental illness Anyway, this was something that really ticked him off, and I got like a what Niagara Falls of text messages around 11 p.m. <laughs> last night, right? And and we just flew in here this morning, and like you know, I, I don't have, I don't want to keep going on this long text chain with him, but he was clearly bothered. He's a friend, so you know, here we were yeah. going back and forth. There's there's even something further to this sense of being lost, right? And I see this in him too. It's not just that you're hungry for purpose, but you refuse to admit that you believe in God or that you pledge allegiance to the flag or that your family structure is actually an important part of your identity or that hard work. It's not just that. There's something even more going on because temporarily you can fill that void with a hunt for civil rights, right? A hunt for human rights. That's a big part of what what occupied this movement even since the 60s since the 70s, is to say that, okay, even if I don't believe in those things, I can fight for secular justice, okay, rights and equality. Here's the real problem that's going on in the year 2022 or 2023 or 2015 is that then they lost that too. Why did they lose that? Because we got to their promised land. Yep. So, so it's, it's, it's sort of a weird thing, right? In the racial wokeism or the gender culture war. Now we live in a country where you can marry who you want, if you want, how you want, when you want. And it is precisely then that we reach this culture of vehemence with gender identity itself being the new obsession. It's because when you run out of human rights and civil <laughs> rights to stand for, you have to find new ones instead because you don't have God. You don't have country. Right. So then you lost my, you took my civil rights struggle away too. Now I'm going to make one well, to so take its place. That's the trans movement in a nutshell. This, one of the ways I've described it is an autoimmune disorder of the country. 
the people who are fighting against racism was effectively like the white blood cells purging a, a, a negative, a bad thing from this country. So you go back several decades. We have a racism problem. We have blockbusting. We have redlining. Yeah. We have outright practices that must be stopped. And so people rise up to the challenge and they stop it. Well, now it's codified. Now it's illegal. So what do these white blood cells do? They start attacking healthy structures within the system. Sure. Causing damage as if it was similar to an auto, uh, autoimmune disorder. I actually used this analogy in my last book. Did you read Nation of Victims by chance? Or mm -hmm. did you read either of my books? I, no, I didn't. Okay, okay. So I wrote, I wrote this book, Woke Inc., a couple years ago. That was about sort of the marriage of, of wokeness and capitalist structure and what each side got out of the trade. But that book was mostly about like the woke capitalism side of it, but it never gotten that book into the underlying cultural phenomenon of what's actually going on. So take the corporations out of it. The second book called Nation of Victims talks about the spread of victimhood culture in the United States. But the opening chapter actually, uh, it, it was written in the late stages of the end of the you know COVID craze in this country. So I drew this analogy where it's like the equivalent when you think about whatever it is to take alleged racism in the United States, right? There, there was a point in time, certainly 1870, reconstruction in this country, where there was a justified, comprehensive societal response we needed to mount against actual systemic racism that we fought a civil war in this country, among other things, to overcome. That moment has long passed. And so what you see right now is the, is the activation of an overactive hyperimmune response that's yep. trying to clear a virus that's already well below the limit of detection. Am I saying there's none of it left? No, but it's in the bloodstream, but it's like, you're not gonna detect it. Yep. You may as well watch it wither away to irrelevance, but if you mount a comprehensive immune response after the virus itself is gone, actually, I don't know if people know this, that's actually how people die in the hospital of COVID. You get acute respiratory distress syndrome. Right. Long after the virus is gone, your immune system is still attacking your, your bodily organs. That's how you actually die. And I think that's the equivalent of what's going on in the so-called woke movement in this country is once the thing disappears, you don't even have a virus left to attack. You're just attacking and killing the host itself. That host is our exactly country. Exactly it. And, yep. so, and so, so how do we fix that? Right? That, that's, that, is, that is the question for the House. That is why I'm running for president. I think I'm the best. I mean, look, I wouldn't be doing this if I didn't think that if I thought that somebody else was able to actually take on this challenge of our time. And for a different number of reasons, we got we got some time on our hands so we can go through it. But oh, yeah, yeah. I don't think that I don't think that the rest of the conservative movement, there's different flavors of it, are quite up to that task in this moment. That is the work ahead of us. Can we do it? I'm raising my hand and, and giving it a try. I agree. I see Donald Trump as a very strong figure who wants revenge. He didn't get a chance to do what he wanted to do with his first term. He was hobbled. He was a, he was. What, 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 how would you describe it? Framed as being a Russian spy and traitor to this country. It's insane. Yep. But Trump doesn't know everything you just said. I think, you know, we're younger. He's older. I yep. think he's literally twice as old as we are, a little bit more. A little bit more, I think, yeah. And we here are seeing our own generation and younger embracing these things or resisting these things. And Donald Trump's perspective is very much in, in, the, in, in the boomer generation. Totally. So all I can really say is without you know, speculating, opining on the results of a GOP primary. I look forward to you saying everything you just said to these other people on stage and to the American people, because it needs to be brought up in the conversation as we are moving forward in terms of who becomes president. Yeah. And the case I'm making to people right now is forget who about who you're voting for. Nobody's voting this year. Put that to next year. But this year's about answering the what and the why. 
right? What do we stand for? Why do we stand for it? Not because I need the money, but I mean, we all need the money too. But I mean, I'll put an eight-figure check into this campaign just to kick it off. But I want it to be grassroots-driven movement to at least force that to the center of the debate stage. So, you know, Vivek2024.com, literally, people just type it in and go there, give a dollar or five dollars, even if they might be voting for Trump or somebody else, who are still interested in seeing these these questions asked and answered and addressed. Now, our whole play is whoever leads that way, the case I'll make next year is pick the person who led the way in defining the agenda. <laughs> you know, but we'll get to that next right. year. But this year it's about defining that agenda. But you know, back to back to the essence of this question is I think that our work is harder than just playing whack-a-mole with that lost left-wing exit. So we have a bunch of lost people on the other side. They're, they're many of them literally mentally ill. I mean, I think much of the trans movement is just the manifestation of a deeper mental illness that's part and parcel of being lost and hungry for this cause. And I want to we, we can I, we can bat them down, but I wanna that's not going to do anything. I want to clarify that, too. Uh, my view, and I think what you're saying is trans is ancillary to the existing mental illness that these people are suffering from. Oh, that's just like a small symptom. Exactly. Right. I mean, that's just, and this, and we're playing whack-a-mole. Today, the whack-a-mole is trans, but the climate cult, the religiosity of self-flogging, wearing the hair shirt of climate change and the way you're supposed to apologize for your modern way of life, the belief in seeing that we have different shades of melanin and are supposed to presuppose some invisible societal relationship that, that, that precedes us and will post-date us because of the race or the color of our skin. These are all just symptoms of a deeper of a deeper mental illness caused by two things, okay? You ever go whitewater rafting or? Yeah, I have actually. Okay, so like whitewater rafting, right? You get a class five rapid, how do you do it? Yeah. You don't, if, if you Flipped have two, two streams that hit each other, okay, two currents, you get a current that's not twice as powerful, it's 10 times as powerful. Yep. Two of the currents right now is on one hand, you have this, the hollow problem, as you put it, the void, mm -hmm. the black hole, no faith, patriotism, hard work, family, all that gone. So you got a hunger for purpose, you have a hollow. On the other hand, you have a culture, especially for young people, that says you can't actually say what you believe. So if you do have a thought that defects from an orthodox, you have to keep it to yourself. Those are two currents that create this mental health epidemic that's spreading like wildfire. It'll show up as depression, it'll show up as anxiety, it'll show up as gender dysphoria, it'll show up as woke. And, and so against that backdrop, what do I see a lot of other conservatives doing? We, we can get into, get into this in, in depth. A lot of them are playing whack-a-mole. And, and they're not even, some of them, I, are, some of them, some of them aren't even playing whack-a-mole. I mean, like, take like a Ron DeSantis is, he's not even going after the real thing. He's just going through motions that imitate other people going after the real thing. And how do I know that? I was one of those people for the last three years going after woke and, and its manifestations. Like, that's, that's what I've spent a lot of my last three years after I stepped down as a biotech CEO that's a big, being a big part of my focus. And for me, it was like on a first personal level, I'm look, like looking in the mirror here, it was reactionary. I, I don't know if I ever told you my story, but you know, after, after you know, I was running a multi-billion dollar company, George Floyd's tragic death plays out and you know, it's, it was a tragic death, but there was a demand that I make a statement on behalf of Black Lives Matter. I refused to do it, led to a series of events that I you know, described in Woke Inc. Six months later, a bunch of prominent advisors to my company resigned. I wow. say, look, I have a choice. I'm either going to speak my mind freely mm. or I'm going to well, speak you, through the filter of corporate self-interest. What, what did your company do? We made medicines. We and, developed and so drugs. Yeah. A, a, a pharmaceutical? Yeah. So like five of them. And of they these wanted you to comment on racial politics. 
Yeah, about about Black Lives Matter specifically. <laughs> You're like, guys, we make aspirin. I don't know. I, I don't know. Yeah, what I mean, you make, well, but... actually, it's like it's like it's a, it, uh, it was an innovative company where we were developing. So one of them is a is a life saving therapy for about twenty kids, born each year with this disease. You can talk about hollow or emptiness. In this particular case, they're born without a, a particular a particular part of their body mm-hmm. that you know relates to their immune system. All twenty of those kids would have died by the age of three. And with a therapy developed in partnership with Duke University, a majority of those kids are able to live lives of a, a more normal duration. But or how does that cancer. stop like, racism? Exactly. exactly. Like that's, that's, <laughs> that, that's, that was the point that landed on my doorstep. And so after the George Floyd protest, what did I say? I said that, look, whether you're black or white or whether you're wherever, whatever your views are on this, I'm proud to work on saving people's lives, something that can unite us and is a worthy purpose regardless. And you know, what I was told is that didn't meet the moment. Oh uh, that was God. exactly, the, that was exactly, I was tone deaf. <laughs> and, and anyway, that, that led to a series of events that actually I wrote an op-ed the following January in the Wall Street Journal. So those were the former law professor of mine. So I have a background in science. I ended up, I, you know, I have a background in law as well. But, you know, just a former law professor of mine in my personal capacity, nothing to do with the company, wrote a piece making the case that big tech companies, when they engage in censorship at behest of the government, that it actually was bound by the First Amendment. It was like a nerdy academic argument. And I know conservatives, this has since become popularized in the last several years after I made this argument. This was the first time, this was the first time that argument was really made. And so anyway, after I wrote that piece, I kid you not, now this is in the wake of January 6th, two years ago, multiple advisors to the company resigned within a 48-hour period. And for me, why? that was the wake-up call. But why? Were oh, because, because this was inappropriate. Companies have a responsibility to play. Corporate leaders. This was irresponsible speech on my behalf. It was a. Th- I mean, I'm not even here. I'm not even kidding you. Threats to our democracy. That was in one of the one of the emails that I got. That I'm fueling and fostering those threats. And so I had to look in the mirror, and I had to face a choice. Right? Was I gonna speak freely as a citizen, or was I gonna speak through the filter of corporate self interest? And to be honest, it was a multi-billion dollar company I'd built. I'm not going to have to work a day in my life if I don't want to. And neither, you know, I mean, we're going we're gonna to live the life we want to. If I wasn't free to speak my mind, imagine if everyday Americans who have to worry about putting food on the dinner table, what choice they face. So I made the choice and said, you know what? I'm going to speak freely as a citizen. Step aside from my job as a biotech CEO. Led me to the final stages of writing Woke Inc. Published that book and published these other books. But 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 the thing I was the, the thing that took me on that little detour was... For the couple of years thereafter, I was focused on fighting woke. Like this was, and it was personal to me and part of it was reactionary. Right. And I can empathize a little bit with, because that's part of what I see in Trump, is it is reactionary. It is, <clears throat> it is vengeance driven, is driven with grievance. Then I see the likes of the Ron DeSantis's pop up that say, okay, and you know, he's read my book probably a couple times over, et cetera. Okay, whatever that is, I'm going to go do that. Because people people, want it done. Pe- people seem people seem to like that. It was a best-selling book, right? When I when I wrote, it. okay, that seems like a thing to do. Let's go do that, whatever that that is. When you're doing it imitatively, you're like off by half, and then you get outsmarted by the people on the other side. Even though you get your Twitter trend and your media hits, and so so, so this is what I see is like you know in the Trump version of it, authentic, really interested in unapologetically going after the problem, outsider, not a politician, but driven by vengeance, grievance, and let's knock the hell out of him and win this. Ron DeSantis, cheap imitation, 
or professional politician, career politician of any kind. It's not specific to him. It's true of most career politicians. Cheap imitation, that's cool. I was going to talk about Social Security and Medicare reform 20 years ago because that was cool. Now I'm going to switch to this because that's what's in. But then you're off by half and you're not really getting the thing. Yeah. And so for me, I'm getting the actual thing. But my, myself was also driven by the war against this cultural religion for the longest time without coming to the recognition that if we really want to solve the actual problem for the country, it's going to involve more than whack-a-mole. Because even if we whack woke, then you see climate religion pops up. And so that so, makes, means we have to go fill the void. But that, to me, is woke. Climate. Oh, it is. It Ukraine. is a manifestation of the same thing. So, so, so let's do this. Let me, uh, you put out a video defining woke. There was this uh, thing happened with, uh, who was the woman? I Bethany Mandel, I believe it was. Somebody. We put it on the yeah. show. And she gave like a very poor explanation of what woke meant when she was on the Hills show, The Rising. And then the left, of course, they seized upon it. Yeah. Went saying, ha ha, they don't know what they're talking about. And then I see all these people make definitions for wokeness that are completely wrong. And still to this day, I, I argue with people and it's exactly as you described it. They're playing whack-a-mole because mm -hmm. I'll tell you what I see. Someone comes to me and we'll be on the show. We'll be on Timcast IRL and they'll say, look, woke is it's these it's this critical race theory stuff. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. you're missing gender ideology when mm -hmm. you say that. And they say, well, these people are racist. It's like everybody is looking at one element right. of th that is within the woke sphere and then saying that's what woke is. But I, and then I heard your definition. I, I will tell you. Um, my view of what woke is, and it's very, very simple. It is the modern left liberal culture formed by social media algorithms. To elaborate, it is characterized by cult-like adherence to their social orthodoxy. That's it. So if I want to dive deeper and explain yep. what these things are, the reason why you're, it's whack-a-mole, the reason why there doesn't seem to be any kind of actual core element to what they believe is, well, there, there is no faith structure. There's no, there's no moral structure. It is quite literally right now. If I make a video on Instagram, what will get the most clicks? Mm -hmm. Dylan Mulvaney, very big in the news, especially because of the Bud Light thing, yep. getting more and more famous by the minute, but controversially famous. If you look at Dylan Mulvaney's TikTok history, what do you see? The earliest videos were about animals. Then it was about some Broadway stories. Then it was I'm gay and with animals. Then it was nature hikes. These things weren't working. Dylan Mulvaney comes out as non-binary. Hundreds of thousands of views. Right. Dylan Mulvaney one ups this into trans a million views. Dylan Mulvaney then hit the nail on the head with the hammer in the algorithm. Day one of being a girl. Day two of being a girl. To guarantee that people had a reason to see the next degree being one upped every day. It is masterfully done. Totally. Whether so let me, let, me, let, me, let me make an observation about that. Okay. Because yeah. this is, this is, we're also having this discussion on the back of a week, a couple of weeks where there's been a lot of discussion about the role of AI and the dangers of AI in our culture. Okay. Oh boy. AI, you know, you want to know one of the dangers of AI you can just see right here today doesn't have to do with robots with laser eyes. Maybe they'll, we'll deal with that in the future. This is actually AI. Dylan Mulvaney yep, is a creature of AI. That is the robot with laser eyes. Yes. Because Skynet, you know, it, it's that we think that Twitter or TikTok or whatever is imitating life. This is life imitating TikTok in the real world because this was trained by the algorithm. That is the robot. Yes, it is the robot. And so what's going on? I, we said we have the hollow, the, the black hole, the void. Something's going to prey on that void. 
we have some sense that it might be a human being. Well, some human beings do. Some activists might. We have some sense that it might be Larry Fink uh, or, or whatever. The financial types would, that have actually financial objectives from being able to prey on those insecurities to achieve their own ends. AI itself is in part built on algorithmically preying exploiting, upon. preying upon that vacuum. I mean, Mark Zuckerberg, as I was at Harvard a year behind Mark when he was a sophomore year, it was my freshman year, that's when he founded Facebook. As you may remember, the predecessor to Facebook was hot or not, right? Right. <laughs> Which is like, you know, you pick, you know, different pictures from the Harvard directory, you send them to people via email and you, you just like, based on how rapidly you click, that was actually part of the computer algorithm to yeah. be able to see what it would tell you about the underlying people, about the person who was making the choice. And the whole game was, I can use the speed with which you click on something to know more about you and your soul than you know about yourself. You, you, you know that Facebook knows when you poop, right? Of course. And, and it sounds silly, but it's, it's, I'm not exaggerating. I think it was like a Wall Street Journal article explaining that there are things we can't see or understand that are tells. Yep. That Facebook's algorithm... It will see that it, it finds after yep. tracking a billion people, if you begin to move at least 10 meters, followed by stopping a location within 10 feet of a restaurant, you are 30 minutes from going to the bathroom. Like it can see things we can't see. Mm -hmm. And so then it can, can uh, 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 take that data and apply it to you as an individual. And then someone will be tracking your data. If you were to actually look at it, Facebook will be like, if, if you were looking at your data tracking you, you'd be sitting here feeling totally fine. And then Facebook sends you a message being like, according to our data, you'll get a coffee in 45 minutes. And you're like, I don't want a coffee. That's weird. 45 minutes go by and you go, you, do. you know, I really do want a coffee. Of course. Yeah. It knew before you knew. Totally. So this is this is it. But so you, there's two but, components to this. Uh, I just want to be really clear in parsing this, right? One is its ability to know something about you. And I think that that's slightly different than the thing we're talking about with the Dylan Mulvaney problem, where it's having a discursive impact on changing you. So this is the equivalent of, okay, Facebook discovers that you were going to want that coffee, but whether or not Facebook existed around that time, you were going to want that coffee. Yep. The Dylan Mulvaney thing is different. Dylan Mulvaney was not going to become a trans, I'm going to have to get this straight over time. I guess you would call trans her a woman. trans woman. Woman. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just, it, you know, takes a second. Yeah. So trans woman would be the, would be the distinction, right? Somebody who's acting like a, Man, a male who a male wants exactly to be a woman. Yeah, so it's a trans woman, right? So Dylan Mulvaney would not be a trans woman were it not for those TikTok algorithms, because it's not like getting the coffee. You're, you're, this was causally yes. a change, and that's I think a distinction. So Matt Walsh has a viral, a couple of viral videos from the speech that he gave in I think it was New Mexico, and a trans woman, a biological male who is wants to be a woman or identifies as such asks him questions. He responds with, how do you know you're a woman? How did you find out you were a woman or you believe you are? And this trans woman said, I was listening to a podcast from another trans woman describing their experience. And I said, that's my experience too. And it was fascinating. Matt Walsh then says, but that's not a woman. It's a trans person. You're not hearing a woman's experience. Simply put, if this individual never heard that show, was never fed that show, was never placed, the show was placed in front of them, they would not think they were a woman. That's right. They, they, it, was, it was given to them by the machine. So the, the, the example I give to people, and I have, this, this out, it's, it's funny that all of this is happening right now. The way I explained it five years ago, people think AI meant Skynet, meant robots, Terminators. And I was like, why would it, why, what, what makes you think the AI wants to kill you? 
No, I'll tell you what's going to happen. It's going to be 50 years from now. Everyone is going to be walking around and their clothing will be giant costumes of a corn cob. Everyone will be dressed in giant corn cob outfits. They will have corn cob hats. Yeah, the pens about right. will look like corn and they will go to the restaurant and they'll order some variation of corn. And I'll tell you why. To them, it'll all be normal cultural development. But the AI sees that humans put a ton of production into corn. Mm-hmm. So humans must like corn. So feed them more corn content because humans like corn. After 20 years of this, everyone will only just see corn because the AI has been feeding them nothing but corn content. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, as it turns out, several years on, it wasn't corn. In fact, it was it was hollow leftist ideologies mis- misapplied. To that's right. Modern. I modern see where mission. you're going with that. that. That's exactly that's exactly the essence of what's going on. So I don't think it's the total explanation. I think there are financial forces. I think yeah. there are other cynical forces, some that are authentic ideologues. But when you but it goes back to that deeper theme. All of us have some version of that vacuum in us. Okay, we're human beings. But we, we're able to fill that vacuum to a place where it's, it's you're going to use the immunology analogy, where you're able to immunize yourself against that against that external virus. Let's let's put it that way. The problem, what happens right now, is when you're when you're that empty, be it the combination of financial forces, ideological forces, or even algorithmic forces, that leaves you more vulnerable to exploitation. That's the Dylan Mulvaney problem in the country. Again, the question is, what do we do about it? Right. I don't think the problem is really it's symptomatic therapy at best to go after the AI, to go after the algorithm. Now, I'd I'd say I'm kind of I don't know where you are in this. I'm, among other reasons for this reason, against social media, especially addictive social media usage. And we can define what social media is in kids under the age of 16, but under the age of 16, let's sort of because kids, kids aren't adults. And part of being an adult, on the flip side, is you're free to make bad choices. That's part of what freedom means. So, so adults, I don't, I'm not in favor of this ban stuff. But under the age of 16, keep it out of their hands. But, but the deeper question is, even for adults, the right answer isn't to go after the thing that exploits it. Because if it's AI today, it'll be somebody else with a financial incentive tomorrow. It's to fill the void with something more meaningful. That is, I think, the number one calling, should be the number one calling, of the conservative movement in this country. And I don't think that vengeance and grievance are going to be sufficient. It's not that I don't think they're justified. I think they are justified in many here's, cases. Here, if you're Donald Trump, it's absolutely justified. But that's not going to be sufficient to immunize us against the actual force. In fact, that might become its own force. You're right, and I agree. And I think of the space race. Some, some unifying task the country engages in that yep. makes everybody like this is awesome. The problem is... It could with, be that with with the algorithmic the manipulation, there is no incentive for what we would call describe as the left or the woke to actually entertain a unified front. Because, uh, uh, for example, this is we had uh, Destiny on Tim Castile. He's the omni liberal. He's a centrist, left leaning individual. The left calls him far right. It's it's funny. But uh, he pointed this out. He said, who's this guy? Sorry, I don't know. This. Destiny. Okay. He's, he's one of the most prominent leftist streamers. OK, but he's actually a moderate guy. He would talk to you and have an honest conversation. He probably just on the facts. He disagree with you. I, I, I'd but, like that, actually. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think he's a good dude. I think he's a yeah. good dude. I think people on the right obviously roll their eyes at him and stuff, but at least he's willing to talk. But he made a great point. He said the right will see something that they think is not a good thing, like children getting sex changes. And instead of the left either ignoring it, saying, sure, 
they immediately come out and say, no, it's a good thing. Mm -hmm. So he's like, you have this issue where I think in terms of mastectomies among minors, it's in the thousands, a, a couple thousand young, prepubescent girls, pubescent, I think, because they're yeah. developing um, yeah. in the past four or five years. I think the number may be around 2000 have gotten double mastectomies. And he was like, not a whole lot of people, right? Still a problem. Why did the left decide to come out and say it's a good thing and we should encourage it instead of just being like, let the right complain about this thing that's not a, that, that's not an issue to us. Mm -hmm. Instead, they've mounted this whole national campaign around defending sex changes for children, which is just insane. Well, I think much of the right would not have been complaining about it were it not for the epidemic explosion of these gender mutilated uh, gen genital mutilation. Well, but, but this is surgeries this, across the, the country. The, the, right. And so this is the issue. Uh, when it comes to puberty blockers, I think it's like 14,000. When it comes to cross-sex hormones, it's actually much greater, around 40 or 50,000. And then when it comes to outright surgeries, it's in the low thousands, maybe between 1,500. Still and in the low thousands? Yes. Okay. So, so cumulatively, we're talking about like 70,000, high tens of thousands per year. No, no, no. All in the past four or five years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, right, right. Tens of, like a 10,000 High tens or of so. thousands, yeah. No, 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 no. Tens of thousands per year. No, no, no. About 10,000 per year. About 10,000 per year. Right. Totally. In total. Yeah. So over the past five years, we're looking at maybe 70,000 who have been on drugs or surgeries. Right. And so with 330 million people, you know, it's not a it's not a large percentage, but still a problem, mm -hmm. still something that should be called out and say, hey, we shouldn't allow this to expand. We want to stop the fire before it spreads. But instead of the left simply being like. Sure, I guess. Yeah, they could have come out and been like, do you really believe that's big of a problem? Fine, whatever. We'll ban it. I mean, I, I think you're wasting your time. Instead, they came out full force and said, you're wrong and we should have more of it. Mm -hmm. And so this is the issue. If the right came out, I mean, let's just put it this way. Conservatives came out and said, children shouldn't have sex changes. And instead of just going, OK, they went, no, they should. Yeah. <laughs> so if we were to come out when when Elon Musk is building Starship, I am so inspired by this. I think Elon's fantastic. I love the space program stuff. You know, Donald Trump's talking about Artemis going to Mars. Yep. They insult it and they, and, and they say these things that make no sense. When, when Elon Musk launched the car into space, they say a billionaire just wasted billions of dollars sending all this money into space. How stupid. We could feed the hungry. And then what did we hear from the right? The money spent stays on Earth. Mm -hmm. He didn't blast a billion dollars in outer space to be destroyed. Yep. They built a spaceship here, employing people here who get the money here, who buy food here. And then they launch a spaceship to develop new technologies and make life better for people. Yeah. But it doesn't matter. They have to oppose whatever it is you want. And so the challenge I see with the culture war is no matter what we say, no matter what we focus on, there is a chaotic and destructive force that is incentivized to oppose and destroy anything we want to to endeavor for. I, I agree with all of that. This is an astute and you're playing the role that you should play in the ecosystem, which is being at the bleeding edge. And you're so good at this, getting to the bottom and getting the essence of what's going on. The question is, if somebody's going to step in to run for president of the United States, the job and the calling is, okay, how do I lead? And, the, and this, is a, this is a question. It's, like, it's not something we can take for granted anymore. One nation the on way. the table. That's the question on the table. So how do we lead one nation through that challenge? And it is a challenge. Now, we've there, faced other challenges in our national history before. I don't think, I think this is a real challenge. 
I don't think it is quite yet the greatest challenge that America has faced in its nearly 250 year history, but it, but it's a real challenge. I disagree. You think it is the greatest? Fine. <clears throat> it's it's a big challenge. Is all I would say. It's it's a big There's... challenge, right? We 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 faced a civil war before. This would this would maybe this would maybe rank at least behind that no, in I disagree. my book. You think it's even de- even deeper disagree. than the civil war? Uh, the precursor to the civil war. Uh, I think we are in a precursor to a to something much hotter and much more dangerous. And I and I hope I don't know how great the probability is. The civil war is at least geographically distributed, whereas this is more like uh, Ireland. Well, so something. so you said one nation. We're not one nation. Well, we I have, think it's on the table. I think that is a question. I, I think we can't take for granted that we're one nation. I'm running for president because I want to make sure we're one nation on the other side of it. And if I, you think that ship has sailed, then there's no yes. point. No, no, there's no, no point there, going there, through the motions. I'm done. Right. I don't the, need to do this. But but there is there is there's a point. But but the issue is this. All uh, we had Stephen Marsh. Uh, on the show, he wrote a book about the next civil war. He believes we're also heading in this direction, but he is more on the left's perspective, though he thinks he's objective and in the middle. I had to explain to him he's not. And the reason why is he was wrong on so many of his facts because he's getting his views from the corporate press, whereas, you know, we here at, at Timcast, and I'm sure you have a balanced absorption yes, of information. Take everything, yeah. But he said, within the United States, there is a multicultural democracy and a constitutional republic, and they cannot coexist. And I said... Brilliantly said, and you are 100% correct. The multicultural democracy believes that they have a right to storm into a Capitol building in Tennessee and then change the rules. And when they do that, it's democracy. But if the right tries to storm into the Capitol in D.C., it's fascism. They clearly there are two distinct systems here. The right tends to favor a constitutional republic, a representative democratic system, and the left thinks majority rules. So if you look at Canada, they are dominated by multicultural democracy. The United States has these two ideologies fighting amongst each other. So when it makes you make a pause and make a really interesting observation because capitalism fits into this picture yeah. in an interesting and unintuitive way, right? Because the, the pion, the classic, you know, pion to capitalism is it's the best known system to mankind to lift people up from poverty. Yeah, yeah, all that. I agree with it. But, but I'm going to go to a different dimension on this. Tocqueville. Actually, Alexis Tocqueville traveled this country. Sometimes it takes a foreigner's perspective to see something about a nation that you can't see in yourself, as he did, what, some 160 odd years ago when he was in this country. He made a similar observation. So your guy, who's the guy who sat with you? Stephen Marsh. Okay, Stephen Marsh. Not, yeah. not as original as he might think. I'm you know, not, not giving credit, <laughs> but Alexis Tocqueville said the same thing. Yeah. He said that a diverse, multicultural democracy, and this is the way Tocqueville described it, but for he might as well meant constitutional republic too. He meant the two yeah. as, as part and parcel of the same. A multicultural, diverse, divided version of it cannot stand for more than a generation or two unless, and this is the key unless, unless there are apolitical sanctuaries free from partisan identity and identity politics that bind those groups together. He called them intermediary institutions. We could talk about churches. We could talk about civic life and the Lions Club and the Rotary Club. I mean, these are the kinds of civic associations of the kind that Tocqueville had in mind. But the real one that did the job was actually free market capitalism in the country, right? So, so that was what brought people together by keeping that as an apolitical sanctuary. And that's manifest in the form of baseballs, football stadiums, workplaces in this country, biotech labs, whatever it is. Spaces where people could come together regardless of whether they were black or white or Democrat or Republican. And when you lose that glue, 
right? That's the, that's the basis for solidarity. When that's gone, that's when the diverse multicultural democracy can't stand. So in a certain way, capitalism was, a, the, the role of capitalism in all of this, in this discussion about the Republic, wasn't just the thing you and I even talked about in the beginning, the rugged individual realizing our version of the dream, making money, growing an economy. Yeah, yeah, all that. But it's also part of the glue, the apolitical, including even identitarian apolitical space that binds us together. And that's when, when those spheres themselves became infected with the throes and travails of identity and partisan politics, that's when we go back to that breaking point. And that's why I've been so focused on these issues you're, and you're ESG right. and everything else. Why do they matter? This is why they matter. They matter for whether or not we have a country left at the this, end. This is interesting. Uh, have you ever watched the show Bullshit, Penn and Teller's Bullshit? I have not, no. It's such a good show, but it is itself bullshit. And they okay. even mention it. They, they do this thing where <laughs> they interview people of, of a certain idea and then debunk it. So like, you know, people who believe in Sasquatch, they'll like sit down and they'll be like, here's why it's bullshit. And um, much in the tra tradition of Houdini, I, he tried to debunk things. But there is a great scene where it's Penn and Teller and they're sitting down, they're eating. And he's, I forgot exactly why he's talking, but he's talking about how war ended between England and France. And he said they were fighting for hundreds of years and good re and for good reason until one day one guy realized they would make more money if they weren't fighting. And so as trade lines improved, war diminished. And all of a sudden there was less desire to fight because they were getting rich off each other. Yeah. Simply put, in the United States, as, as, as what you're describing, I see it making a lot of sense. You've got someone who is Muslim. You've got someone who is Christian. Right. In throughout history, various Abrahamic facts have fought, even within yep. their own religions. Sure. You know, Sunni and Shiite and things like that. In the United States, they say, I don't want to fight you. I'll trade with you. Because I'm rich. And yeah. if I fight, I lose my mansion. I lose my infinity pool. But now what's happened is capitalism is going woke. Capitalism so, itself is, is corrupted. It's like it's like a and, spread of a virus. And now people are saying, like with your company, if I don't join the fight, I'll lose my infinity pool. I'll lose my Ferrari. Yeah, exactly. And, and so we've we've lost the, the glue itself has been dissolved by the thing that's dissolved the bonds between us in partisan politics. Whereas if we have these other areas to say, OK, we're going to fight like hell over here and we're going to be diverse as hell over here. But here we're still more or less the same. It doesn't matter. We're going to cheer from the baseball stadiums and football stadiums of the country because you don't have fight for social justice written in the end zone, which is what you see in the NFL or whatever today. Right. Fight racism or whatever it says. And, and not to say that, I mean, what's really underneath that is actually a divisive agenda. And it's not actually about fighting racism. It's about signaling your one-sided political social virtue. That's when the society crumbles. Now, I got a couple things to say about this, okay? Capitalism doesn't have to be the only such domain. Right. I think that part of what we've lost is apolitical spaces more broadly. In Israel, for example, what brought different divided communities together was shared civic service, military service. Right. Yeah. And actually, the fact that Orthodox Jews were exempted ended up becoming the exception that proved the rule. It actually created more division between non-Orthodox Jewish communities and Orthodox Jews even as it fostered greater coherence between Jews and non-Jews, all of whom were actually required <laughs> to serve in the military together. And so I don't think, and I, I think that there's a ripe conversation to be had about the revival of civic service and civic duty in this country. Starship troopers. I, I, potentially. 
Yeah. Potentially we could talk Service about it. Service guarantees citizenship. But, but I think that, uh, and we could talk about that as a precondition for voting. I mean, there's a deep philosophical conversation I'm to there. have here. But, but the tie to the conversation we're having about capitalism, and nobody thinks about capitalism in that light, capitalism plays that role too. Side, side note, uh, I think that works within the society. I think that the irony is that this trade and be my brother mentality, that's part of what got us into the hole that we're in with China. Because uh, China duped us into actually saying that, hey, we'll have solidarity through trade when, in fact, yep. they use like mercantilism on the other side. So so I actually, as I wanted just as a interest of clarifying my position on this, as much as I believe that that's true within a diverse body politic and that capitalism, among other things, other apolitical civic spaces, even civic duty and civic service playing the role of glue, I, I think that we got duped into the siren song of thinking that applied to international relations when in fact in certain cases, particularly in China's case, it didn't. We could spend two hours on that. We can if you want, but that's a separate topic. But coming back to part of putting the pieces back together in this country, and I do think that domestic fortitude, cultural fortitude is a precondition for both economic growth and achieving our geopolitical objectives. So that's why people are like, oh, you're... How can you be a serious candidate if you're only focused on these cultural war issues? Answers, I'm not, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I think that that's just the found, cultural fortitude is the foundation for reviving our economy and reviving our standing on the global stage. But wh why am I so focused on that? I think that it's achievable. And I think if we're able to recreate some of those apolitical spaces, to create civic cohesion and solidarity, fill that hunger for purpose and meaning, relieve the constraints that teach people you can't talk openly. Actually, one of the things that binds us together is indeed our ability to talk openly. Those are the beginning and building blocks of, revolving, of reviving a common sense of cause, purpose, meaning, and a cultural core in this country that, again, I'll come back to, forget the Democrats, because they're not doing it, but even in the Republican Party, no one's really rising to that occasion. You know, you're talking to frame this in, the, in America first terms. I'm all in. I'm like all in, unapologetic America first conservative. You don't call yourself conservative, I do. I call myself a conservative. But to put America first, we have to rediscover what America is. And if we do that, we're gonna actually have the moral foundation to go even further, far further, than Donald Trump did even with the America first agenda. And so that's my pitch to the America first movement, is this stuff isn't some sort of abstract philosophical stuff. It's the precondition to go further than version 1.0. And I like where version 1.0, Donald Trump. He Version 1.0 went far. You want version yeah. 2.0, you want to go further, you got to restore this moral common core. We, we have a uh, <clears throat> excuse me, common theme. We'll bring on conservative women on, onto uh, Tim Guest IRL. And they tend to say repeal the 19th Amendment, which is you know granting the women, women the right to vote. And the argument is- I didn't know, I didn't know that they- I don't know you've covered that ground here. Okay. I mean, conservative, I mean, we talk, it, it comes up quite a bit because it's always the guys being like, no, I'm fine with women voting. But yeah. the women, conservative women are like, nope, women overwhelmingly vote for policies that are social based, emotional based and destructive in the long run. So just take away their rights to vote. And my view of it is like, well, look, if there's a there's an election and you're losing two to one, you might come out and say, take away their right to vote that I get. But they are women themselves. And I was talking to my girlfriend about it, and she said they're wrong. Repealing the 19th doesn't solve the problem. The issue is we got rid of land ownership requirements and civic requirements. And 
she actually asked me, she was like, why did we get rid of land ownership requirements? And I was like, well, I mean, I think that makes sense. Like you get a build it, you get a growing city with a million people in it and people aren't all owning the building they're living in. They still have to participate in society and have a right to vote. And to which her reply was yes, but there's got to be some civic duty to which you are participating before you can vote. And if men and women were both doing it, they'd have more skin in the game and it doesn't matter what their gender is. If you want to have skin in the game, you got to play in the game. Actually, funny thing, you got to play in the game, you got to have skin in the game. Actually, that's really really the right way to think about this. It's it's a funny point about the men and women distinction. You you probably don't remember that you did this. I bet you did. I, I did by the age of 25 too civic uh sort of uh civil service registration selective service. selective service registration with the military at 18 between 18 and 25 you got to do it as a man yeah. you don't actually require it of women in this country one of the it's a small tweak i actually would require it of women in this country too because if you're going to vote you got to have the ability well, let, me, let, me, let me pause right there uh my argument we were talking about this i said the 19th amendment is unconstitutional in that it violates the 14th amendment equality under the law you cannot I understand. Yeah. grant a, 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 a voting privilege to, to a group of people without there being equality under the law. So, so technically, I'm being, I'm, being, I'm being a bit hyperbolic. Yeah, we, we, we could probably go around a rabbit hole that I could probably tell you isn't merited going down on the, on the legal technicalities of, whether, of that debate. But I understand the spirit of what you're saying. But let's use that 19th Amendment because it's just going to distract a lot of people because – once you get into the gender debate, people lose their ability to think clearly. There's a few topics. <laughs> there's a few topics that do this to people. Trump is one of them. Uh, gender debate is one of them. Like they, they just lose their ability to think logically yeah. once said topic has been introduced. Where we're actually kind of over the flame of a pretty important topic. So let's get to that. Let's get into it. Which is this idea of having skin in the game to be a citizen. I mean, that's really what we're talking yep. about here, right? It's not even about men and women. Skin in the game to 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 be a citizen. So I'll tell you something. I wrote about this in Nation of Victims. I'm probably going to get myself in a little bit of trouble here because I promised myself this was not going to be something in, you know, we're going to talk about in the presidential campaign, but it keeps, it keeps coming back to me. And I'm not promising to you in any way that this is part of my presidential platform, but it, but I'm just telling you it's on my mind. I think that we need to bring back that concept in some way of civic duty as a precondition for full capital C citizenship. I don't think it's well, land let's, ownership. Let's, let's pause real yeah. quick. I want to I want to make sure people clarify the concepts behind this when we reference Starship Troopers. In the Starship Troopers universe, they, the, the, the saying is service guarantees citizenship. Yes. There are citizens and civilians. Civilians yes. are afforded full rights under the law, free speech, free enterprise, all of those protections, but they don't vote or run for office unless you provide two years of, of service to the community in some fashion. No, it's not military. It's just some form of community service. And then you are granted citizenship where you can now vote and run for office. So I'm, they're, I'm, they're, I'm, I'm, they're I'm, pretty they're pretty close to the flame on this. They're, they're, they're right over truth on this one. I, I, I am very sympathetic. And then we're going to go into some some objections to it. But this is important. We're not having this conversation in this country. And we should. And I'll tell you, you don't have to go to Starship Troopers. You don't know where you can go. Go to, you brought, you brought it up, 14th Amendment. Let's look at section one of the 14th Amendment. Privileges and immunities of citizenship. Just, just pause for that a second. Those are two different things. The privileges and immunities. These people knew what they were talking about, okay, who were writing the, writing the 14th Amendment. So, so there's the immunities of citizenship, which say that the police can't show up at this, 
you know, <laughs> let's let's assume the Constitution <laughs> still works, can't show up at that at the place where we're having this conversation right now and say I'm going to enter Who without knows? a search warrant. We're we're yeah. on we're skating on thin ice. They've and, done it. We're, we're we're skating on thin ice as a country right now more broadly, but nonetheless, put that to one side. The way it's supposed to work is that's an immunity of citizenship. No matter who you are, whether or not you've served or whatever, the police can't show up at your door and say, I'm going to search you without a search warrant. There's certain basic things. The government can't take away the money in your bank account because you said something. <laughs> I'm picking these intentionally, right? Right. Because it's, 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 a, satire on, it's a satire on the absurdum, right? I'm doing yeah. a... I'm picking extreme examples like, well, that are so extreme are that they'd be unthinkable. Yeah. So that's a separate, that, that's part of the reason we need to fix this stuff. Yeah. But the government can't take away money in your bank account just because you said something the government didn't like. You can't do that in this country. That's an immunity of citizenship. Side note, central bank digital currencies, that's where we're going. Discussion for a little bit later. But that's an immunity of citizenship. That is different from the privileges of citizenship, right? What is a privilege of citizenship? Voting is a privilege of citizenship. This shocks a lot of people. It shouldn't shock a lot of people. Won't shock you, because you clearly know the 19th Amendment and, and, and the 14th Amendment, because you brought both of them up. There is no constitutionally guaranteed right to vote. People don't know that. Doesn't show up anywhere in the Constitution. Right. Do you think that was an accident? No, was Do you purpose. think the people who thought through the greatest known protection of human liberties enshrined in the Bill of Rights and in the amendments that followed didn't think of that fact? No, 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 no. They were they fairly about elitist, it. actually. They, they, they were, but this was intentional, is my point. It's an intentional choice. There's a lot of reasons why, but there's a productive reason, which is that there are civic duties that are and ought to be preconditions for full citizenship. You know, there used to be, right? Yeah. So back in the uh, suffragette movement, the art, people, people seem to think that you had suffragettes being like, women should vote. What a noble cause. Yeah. And then you had kooky conservative women who are like, no, women don't make decisions. The reality was the women who opposed suffrage were actually saying, read the literature. I don't want to join the military or work in the fire brigade. Because back then, when you voted, they could call you up for volunteer fire service and you could be drafted. It's conscription. And men were. Yeah. There was World War One. There was World War Two, and you had to go fight. And the women said, "Leave us out of that." And so this is why I said, "Interesting that the the nineteenth violated the fourteenth in that they granted a privilege of citizenship to a faction of people while rejecting the civic duty requirements required of other people." So my view right now is, which are effectively baked into the preconditions of citizenship. Now we never made that explicit. That's all. Right. Uh, forget the legal, the legal argument would say we never made that explicit. It does say privileges and immunities, but they gave us the breadcrumbs. I think we live in a moment where you want to do something bold. Let's connect the dots. Let's actually say the thing that you can live in this country as a lowercase c citizen or civilian Starship Troopers version and have all of the immunities of citizenship. You're protected just by in virtue of being in this country. Yep. But if you want to be part of this of the of the class of people who decides who runs the country, great. It's now, open to anybody. Table stakes is some sense of living your civic duty, demonstrating that. But and here's that would change a lot for our country. I think for the better. Well, so I think for the better. I've heard the merits of this. We've argued it, and the counter argument I've got is 
the woke people. Yes, yes. I was going to go there. They would they would be the ones who would right. sign up first thing and take control and then lock and then block you out. And anytime you have an administrative apparatus and a bureaucratic apparatus, it lends itself to capture. We've seen that movie time and again, which is I got to admit to I'm, I'm, we're having a philosophical conversation. It actually the idea shows up as a thought experiment in my second book as well. This is the number one reason why I've stopped short of yet, and I will say as yet, making it part of, you know, and I don't know how close you've been that. following my campaign, but we're pretty darn specific yeah. with, with very specific commitments and proposals. I have not yet made this one. And I'm thinking through it. I'm really thinking through it now, but that is the number one objection. And this is why I come back to then the purpose has to be defined. Because I, I, this is why when you say some form of service, that's when it gets squishy. I'm, I'm, but let me just say, I am for it. And, I, and I'll tell you why. What we've seen consistently. I'm for it if we can implement it, is where I'm at. Yes. And the reason and you I think don't, we can. Yeah. Uh, no, I don't know. Yeah. I'm saying I'm, 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 I agree. I'm for the idea, the yeah. reason why I'm not concerned about woke capture of the institution is that the woke require ignorant masses. Mm -hmm. The problem with, it's, it's that, uh, who, who had that famous quote, the problem with the ignorant is that they're so confident and the, you know, the more apt are unsure of themselves. Oh, I didn't, I didn't know that, but I like that. Yeah, it's yeah I mean, I'm, I'm butchering the quote, but it's something to that effect. And, uh, or I can just cite the Dunning-Kruger effect, right? People who are stupid aren't smart enough to know they're stupid. Yeah. And people who are smart are questioning themselves constantly. But um, when you when you look at conservatives, they say, why should I vote for you? And you got to make a strong argument. Mm -hmm. When you look at Democrats, they go, who am I voting for? Yeah. <laughs> Check the box. You get rid of that. You introduce this requirement. Universal mail-in voting is out the window instantly. Oh, totally. Oh, oh. I mean, all of the... Uh as a side benefit of this, all the election integrity stuff is like automatically fixed with this, right? And, and then what happens it's automatically is automatically fixed. You will have- That goes without saying. That's like automatic, day one, right? So if you have to actually have demonstrated that you committed, that yep. you fulfilled your service requirement to the country Voter on ID, philosophical all grounds, that. all that's gone, right? So you have Democrats who will go, why do they want 16-year-olds I mean, to vote? There's little doubt that Republicans for a long time to come would win elections handily with this requirement in place. That's not even my reason for saying but, it, but, but it I'd would say, be I'd an obvious forever. side effect. Yeah. I think this, this system would work. Well, I wouldn't even say forever because the two-party system would just reorganize itself along different axes. It wouldn't even be the Republicans and Democrats. But, but it would, It'd be Republicans and something else. It would, but the Republican Party would split into two. Yeah, and exactly. You, exactly. And, and, and that but, could be productive evolution for the country. Yes. Yeah. So the issue is when Democrats say they want 16-year-olds to vote. Why? It's because they're ignorant and they want a, an ignorant captured voter base who yeah. will just check a box. You introduce a civic requirement. The Democrats are going to knock on a door and be like, did you vote? And they're going to be like, I ain't joining the service. And that vote is gone. Totally. And the civic requirements are also, I think, include some basic understanding of the Constitution, basic yep. understanding. So, so part of the civic service includes Passing a test. civic education. Absolutely. Yeah. So you have a body of citizens. This can be uniting for the country, by the way, because you know what? A lot of kids who are the kids of a multi-billionaire sitting in some Upper East Side Manhattan apartment won't want to do it. Yep. But some kids <laughs> sitting next to where, where I am in Central Ohio, where you are here in Maryland or whatever, you know, down the street, will absolutely do it. And, and I think that what does that do, Tim? And I, I haven't heard other people talk about this aspect of it, but I think this is important too, is it actually separates money from respect. And I think one of the things that's interesting about American culture, it's just a, it's, it's a trade-off that I'll take, but I'll still admit it's a trade-off, is that compared to like, let's just say the British aristocracy of even the prior century, and there's vestiges of it today, even in Europe today, the amount of respect you're accorded in society isn't exactly or even close to the same thing as the amount of money you have because it's hereditary. 
And so part of the American bargain is to say that we get rid of that hereditary stuff. And we say, I don't care who your parents were, but the side effect of that is, okay, the amount of respect you get in this society, there's one axis that matters in this country. It's the number of green pieces in your bank account because that's the only hierarchical order. It shouldn't be. But I'm saying like for much of our last no, 50 no, no. years. It's changed. It is now the amount of followers on your Twitter followers account. Followers on Twitter account. Fine, yeah. fine, fine. But, but, but some sort of false idol, I think. What, what I, what I think, back to the point this is, this, that I'm making here, though, is respective of followers or green pieces of paper in your bank account, here we add a different axis, is you can be a capital C citizen, part of the special club of people who get to determine who runs the country, and it's open to everybody, but you can be a member of it where the kid of a billionaire isn't, and I think that that can have I, a, an equalizing, civic equalizing effect in our country that could be really powerful. I, I'm, I'm for it. For the most part, I'm enter I'm willing to entertain arguments, and and, and yeah, I, I always want to make sure we have like, have we really thought this through? Yeah, of course. But let me let me tell you what really what I really really hate in in this in this society. Uh, I was recently I had an issue at uh, 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 an, uh, uh, a, a, a trying to keep it relatively vague. Uh, I was out for a night of entertainment with some friends, as okay. you typically would, like let's just say movie theater, bowling alley, etc. Okay. And I had an issue with security. And they told me to go screw myself. And I thought to myself, if I, if I want any action. This is, this is, it's too interesting to just skim over. Okay. Double click on issue <clears throat> and security. Just, just so I can All right. Get, let's, get I'll, I'll tell the full story. Yeah. 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 Uh, I was playing, I was playing poker at a casino. Okay. And uh, I, I beat a guy bad. We'll put okay. it simply. And it wasn't like I had a good hand or anything. I actually had a terrible hand, but I knew he was bluffing me. I knew he was lying. So he pushes $300, everything he's got into the table and gives me a look like I got it. And then I said, no, you don't call, call this bet. He flips over nothing. I took all his money and I had barely, I, I had ace high, no, not even a pair. That's it. Yep. He loses it. He loses it. He storms back a half. He leaves, comes back half an hour later with cash, buys back into the table. And then for the next 10 minutes, just keeps cussing at me and swearing at me. And I'm like, okay, dude, this is, this is inappropriate. And when I asked security to take action, they told me to leave. They say, why don't you leave? And so I thought to myself, this is what I really hate about society, because I've been in these situations numerous occasions, and I know exactly what's going to happen. I'm a reasonable person. I simply went to the, to the, the poker room the supervisor and said, look, this guy just sat down. He just joined the table. He is bothering us. Yep. He's bothering me. Can you ask him to play at a different table? I didn't say ban the guy. I didn't say adjudicate who, who is who is true and correct. I simply said, we are currently in a feud. Please separate us. He said, no, you leave. And then I'm like, here's the point of the story. If I tweet to 1.6 million followers, they will call me up crying, saying, please, please stop. And that pissed me off. So I did tweet. And of course, it did have an effect. Why is it that I, as a reasonable person who simply said, hey, look, there's a feud here. Can you separate us? Can you make this guy? He just sat down, played a different table. They said, no, I'll do nothing for you. But the moment I express the weight of my social gravitas, they fall to their knees. That is bullshit. This country should not mm -hmm. function that way. What should have happened is that reasonable people of good moral standing would simply say, I would prefer it if you didn't fight, sir. Would you mind moving to a different table? Mm -hmm. But instead, they say, fuck you. I don't care about you. I don't care about your problems. Go sit down or leave. And then my only response is, then I will wield the power I have because it's the only thing you unreasonable people answer to. I was on a flight 
on American Airlines a couple of years ago. They canceled the flight. They tell me, sorry, sir, you're out of luck. Mm-hmm. Good luck. And then I said, I have reasonably asked you. I waited in line for a half an hour. I am trying not to be this person, but I know exactly what solves this problem. I tweet what happens next. I get Done. a phone call. Yep. We are so sorry, sir. We have upgraded you and we are getting you on the first flight out. And I said, exactly. you people are despicable. They really are. Any one of these regular people who don't have followers should have been given the time of day and given reasonable accommodation, not being told to screw off. And this is what I can't stand. And there's often the money version of it too, right? You know, pay, right. pay the $300 tip or whatever to get the thing done that you need done. And, and people and are responsible Special accommodations. A- exactly. So-, so I think that if we do, it's like a, it's like a principle of diversification, right? So, so, so you have dollars, then you have social media followers, but then now you have something that's, that's unattuned to, but, but you have something that's untethered now to any of those currencies, which is just civic standing in a society. Like the class of people who serve the country have a greater level of respect. Cause you know what? It used to you be. might be able to get on that American Airlines fight, but guess what? I'm part of the group that gets to determine who actually runs the country? But, but so, listen, so we all have something. It used to be this way. Yeah. When you're boarding a plane, what do they say? Active duty military right. are welcome to board first. Right. Police officers would be given the free hot dog or That's right. come on in, boys. Have uh, breakfast is on us. Military service mattered, but not anymore. N- not anymore. But we could change that. I think we could change that if we if we put some teeth back into it. So, so let's just. I mean, let's just just have some fun with this for a second because it, I mean, it's been on my mind. It keeps coming back, and it's something that. You know, every um, every sane instinct in my in my bones would tell me, okay, we're not going to make it actually part of a policy proposal. Let's just at least use it to clarify the way we see the world. But I got to I got to admit to you, I think that this is this is part of an American revival is at least reviving this idea of civic duty. Agreed. You're not telling somebody you're not taking a freedom away from somebody. It's not South Korea. It's not Singapore. Right. It's not Israel. Where you say that, no, 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 at behest of gunpoint at the military, you better serve or else. We're not saying that. And that exists in other countries. And it's proven to be a pretty good experiment in those countries even. But we, that wouldn't be American. We wouldn't do that. We would just say, hey, you're free to live the life exactly the way you want to. You get all of the enshrined immunities that the Constitution guarantees you. But if you want certain full privileges of citizenship, things that aren't constitutionally guaranteed, like the vote, you just got to live out your civic duty. And here's what that means. In some way. And it doesn't mean military. It doesn't mean military. I, now, I do think that we have to narrowly scope it. It has to be closely yeah. tied to the national interest or else it devolves into vagueness that lends itself to capture. Right. So we could talk about, you know, court system. Uh, I think lo- I think local law enforcement is pretty interesting. Military, of course, counting. We could we could pick a couple of other select areas. I, I, I think that, you know, you could also just that. tie to areas. Right. I mean, we're short on ships. So right. somebody who doesn't have a skill set to join the Navy would be more useful working on a shipyard because our Navy is actually short on ships. Building roads. Building roads, yeah. so, you know, national parks. So we, we could talk about what fits the list, what doesn't. And I think that you got to be really careful to lend and not recreate the woke problem through a new bureaucracy. Wanna... But put that to one side. Philosophically speaking, I think that that creates, I think that, that, that it's, there's no panaceas here, but that is an element of a national revival that dilutes woke to irrelevance. I, I think want, so. I want to I throw a random, almost a non sequitur, I guess. Are you familiar with demarchy? Demarchy. Demarchy. I don't think so. Rule at random. No, I'm not. The idea would be <laughs> uh, a demarchic Congress would be 
You're at home one day watching uh, the Bears game. And it's you. And you get a letter Tap in the mail. The yep. And it says you have been randomly selected for Congress duty. And you'll appoint to a local court. You know, we have that. It's called jury duty. But I'm saying yeah. legislative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, so, it's not an unfamiliar notion. Is almost exactly. Point. Yeah. So the idea is that that's that, that that's the basically the the analogy I'm making. You get a letter in the mail. It says you've been selected for Congress duty, and you go, "Oh, honey, I got Congress duty." Yep. And then it's like a, a, a four week session where accommodations are paid for. You're brought in. They say, "Here's what we're currently we, we've currently been proposing and working on." You have to issue votes on several bills. I like the idea in a limited scope because imagine what would happen if you are a carpenter, a plumber, an accountant, you get called for Congress duty and they say, do you want to give $100 billion to Ukraine? What happens when you go home and all your neighbors, they're going to be like, what Why? is wrong with you? So you're going to say, Why? no, no. Yeah, yeah. I, and, and not only is there a social tie to not doing wrong by this country and, and supporting bloat, but there's also... Your explicit interests as a regular working class person and your community so that when they say we want to give $100 billion to war in Ukraine, you go, no one I know wants that. I don't want that. This is ridiculous. And when you go back, you're more likely to see the interests of the common man upheld in a democratic system than in what we currently have. I, I think that that's that's definitely in the category of like I, interesting. I no, no, no. That, that's 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 it's an interesting thought experiment. I think that. It captures part of what I like about the idea that I'm actually much more serious about than I've let on is because <laughs> I want to really iron out the pieces before we roll this out. Make sure it works before. Yeah, no, I'm talking about the uh, civic service piece exactly. of this. Yeah, but but this this it's a good this is a good thought experiment that gets to part of what would be good about that. Let me just ask you this. Actually, let's say I came out in the Republican primaries. Okay, among other things, I mean, part of what I'm leading is an American civic revival. Okay, that's a big part of the whole thing. It's not even a war on woke. I think they all say yes. I think they say yes, man. Yep, and I think the Democrats I think they say out yes. call you a fascist and say no because- Well, they'll, they'll do it because actually some of them on first principles would agree. They would just do the electoral calculus and for the same reason they want to make Puerto Rico <laughs> a state, they would say no to this. Exactly. Because it's just the, the election results. By the way, like the, our, our election integrity stuff, like that's like that's like child's play. That's done now. Like we, we fixed that with this. I mean, this is no, this exactly. is this is going to the next level. And it, and it's not just about voter ID. It's like Harvey Mansfield. You know who Harvey Mansfield is? He, he wrote this piece. He's like Sounds a familiar. he's like a conservative philosopher. He was uh, anyway. He wrote this interesting piece in the Wall Street Journal a few months ago, which is why don't we have why don't we just settle elections with polls? This is when the peak of many of the discussions about voter fraud were playing out in the country. Why don't we just settle it with polls? And he actually made for the first half of the article. In, in the culture we live in, people only ever read the first half of an article. This is like mm -hmm. a brilliant man. He's an older man. He's, he's, very, he's very advanced in years, but he's a brilliant guy. And he makes the first half, he reads the first half of the piece and a lot of sort of, you know, online Twitter conservative types would read it and be like, no, and they, they, they fail to realize he's actually satirizing the other side. Yeah. And, and he didn't understand. But first half of the piece makes a brilliant argument for here's why we could do polling to settle who runs the country better than running elections. And he makes a case for scientifically, the modeling, how you could actually get a better sense of what the populace thinks by just doing online panel and telephonic surveys of samples using modern polling science to get to a, a cleaner answer than you can by the messy system that we actually have a ballot harvesting voting, etc. It's actually a fair point, to be it's honest. Actually, it's actually a really yeah. fair point. And he makes the point. People recoil at it, not knowing that actually 
the dude gets it more deeply than you do in advancing your own cause. And then he comes back and says, but we don't do it that way. That, that part was behind the Wall Street Journal paywall or something. Yeah. So people get to read it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, so, so we don't do it that way. But we don't do it that way for a reason. It's not because we don't trust the accuracy of the results as much. In fact, I could prove to you that we could trust the accuracy of the results more right. than the clunky system that we have today. It's because the act of voting itself means something. It is the expression of who you are as a citizen. And going through that ritual itself has an important civic function. And, and so I think that when you think about that, take that analogy to now, not just the act of voting, but like, let's say the voter ID law. Is it really just about verification or is there something more to it than that? Because you only is. get your ID if you're a man in this country, as you and I am. I believe in two genders. One's a man and one's a woman. Mm. And the people who are the men in this country have historically been required. I think women should be required too, if we're applying the principles fa fairly, to, to register. For the draft. For the draft. For selective service. Selective service registration. You only get your ID it, 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 presentable to vote if you did do that. So, so in a certain sense, this radical idea I'm talking about, it's already baked into our system. Oh, that's interesting. It's pretty interesting. It's already more familiar than so, you so, know. So actually... The simplest way to implement the, the... You already have an apparatus to do it. The moment you sign up for the Selective Service, you are given your voter ID. Exactly. Then apply it for women. Game over. We're already there. And then they say this. And if you don't want to sign up, you don't have to. And then if you don't want to sign up, you don't have to. So, <laughs> so that's actually that's actually more that's interesting. libertarian and liberty promoting than it is today. And... So people think this is a radical idea. It's not a radical idea because literally today you're breaking the law if as a male in this country, you don't, you don't, you don't but, register but, for selective service. So, 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 so what I'm saying is you can opt out of it. Women get, women have to do it too. But whoever wants the right to vote, women included. And, and, and you're not even you doing do anything. You're not, you're not even doing anything. There's, there's, so then, there's so no then the, only, the, the only thing I would do one more thing is that selective service, let's not make it just a motion you go through because that's what it is today. Hmm. Let's give it some teeth. Basic training. Some teeth, some teeth. And we can talk about what it is. But yes, basic training. And, and if you don't have the physical capability, basic training can be education. Right. Yeah. I mean, we don't have basic constitutional training in this country. It's it's not that far from the system we already have in this, this country. This, I, I like so like this. my campaign staff is going to like beat the hell out of me after, after you and I have this <laughs> what conversation are you saying? going on here. But honestly, I mean, I'm, I'm in this to lead a national revival. But think about this. And, and this, this just I mean, among but, other things, I'm not I'm not I'm not a silver bullet guy. I'm not saying that this is the silver bullet panacea, but part of the essence of a national revival includes civic duty. We We've got very low numbers in the voluntary uh, in the volunteer military force right now. The recruitment is down, way down. Twenty five percent last year. The the, dra the draft is is opposed by basically everybody. We're but, not talking about a draft here. But no, but here's the thing: if we say there's no longer a draft, there is service guaranteed citizenship. You sign up for the selective service, which actually may has a substantially higher percentage of you being called to some kind of civic duty than it does today. Because right now, no one takes it seriously. Nobody no one does. really It's just thinks. a piece of paper you fill out because you have to. Nobody even knows what they're filling out, right. actually. Let's say that um, you you know signing this up means there is a maybe a 5% chance you actually get called to something important. Maybe they need help building roads or something. Maybe yeah. maybe there actually is a conflict. Shipyard shortage. Yep. You know, yeah. And they, say, and they, they call you up for duty. By signing up for this, here's the idea. A lot of people assume service guarantee citizenship implies for two years you're working on a shipyard, for two years you're in the military, for two years you're working in a courthouse or it something It doesn't have like to this. be that at all. All you do is you sign up for this thing, which is a very, very low probability of actually yeah. calling you up, but you volunteer for it, 
which then puts you in It's sort of how the National Guard works right now, right? You have people who are in reserves for the National Guard. You go into train like one weekend a month. Weekend warriors. It's it's, it's actually kind of fun for most people who do it. Now, these people who volunteer to do it are self-selected, but you do fun stuff. And then in a time of some emergency, right? Rescuing people out of the flood in in Louisiana after a hurricane. Whatever it is, you're on duty to be called. Again, I don't think it has to be limited to physical service because not everybody's suited like physically or what otherwise to be to have the physical requirements right. from the military but those people can have other constitutional yeah, education education etc that, that still fills that need to fill in a court system for example that's often understaffed this is something that i it, it, it's not it's not compelled that's the whole point it's a choice yep it's a choice you make and by all means, and by the way, you know how many people square. choose to vote? It's like barely over half the people in this yeah. game. It's like it's certainly far from a 100% voting rate in this you country. Get, you get more willing civic duty. Yes. You get more willing military duty. Yes. You get cleaner election systems. And, and then the, the people who don't want to be involved don't have to be. And that's part of my whole thing is we dilute the woke agenda to irrelevance. Whack-a-mole has not and will not work. You dilute the root cause to irrelevance, which is the hunger for purpose and meaning and identity. And, and you know what? So, so let's let's say I'm and, and this is this is my case, right? To the to the voter, to the MAGA base, to the America First base, on this moral principled foundation. And, and God knows I love Trump. I'm gonna vote for the guy. He's a friend. He did his work. He took he took the America First movement as far as it was gonna go in the first four years. But guys, America First is bigger than Donald Trump. It is bigger than me. It is bigger than you. It is bigger than any of us. It is even bigger than the Republican Party, because because let's yep. also be honest, we're just using <laughs> to make a lot of people mad for me saying this out loud. <laughs> we're using the Republican Party as a vehicle to advance this the is, America First agenda. This is I mean, the future of politics, man. I mean, look, see what it is. I mean, I mean, we have a two party system. Great. I, I, I'll say this. I in I or Donald Trump. What word are we doing? We're using the Republican Party as a vehicle to do something different than what the Republican Party was doing, you know, thirty years ago. And that's fine. But 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 to go the distance. This is this is very important to see distinctions here. If you want to actually, you don't want to just get to the red zone. You want to get to the end zone. You can't just do it based on grievance and vengeance. It will, not because grievance and vengeance is bad. I'm not making a moral judgment. I'm giving you a descriptive fact in this country. You're going to actually take on. So why am I able to take on affirmative action? Right? Why am I the only presidential candidate in U.S. history, including Republicans, who has said I would end affirmative action with an executive order because it started with an executive order. Mm. And by the way, I pushed Trump's people on this. Why did they not cross out 11246, the Johnson era executive order? He could have just done it. He could have just done it with the stroke of a pen. Why didn't he do it? I'll give you an exact quote from his policy people. It's not a political hill we want to die on. (laughs) So, and we can go on the climate cult. We can use military against the cartels, Mexico, secure border, shut down Department of Education, shut down FBI, all stuff I've said I'm going to do. How do you do that and unite the country? You do it based on First principles. You do it based on a moral foundation. Because if you're doing it based on grievance and vengeance, I mean, even this week in the Wall Street Journal, I wrote a piece, and it's really pathetic watching the DeSantis of the world just sort of cower in fear and try to dance their way around this. I said I would pardon Trump. And by the way, they say you can't par- <laughs> they say you can't pardon Trump because it's a state offense. Actually, turns out you study the Constitution law a little bit, you learn that actually if you're using a federal offense to charge it, even if you're a state prosecutor, the underlying crime. absolutely, you pardon the underlying crime. And so, okay, so that, no, uh, and, and, interesting. And, I mean, Yale Law Professor's on down, nobody challenges that. Actually, <laughs> actually, people say I'm on solid footing here. Even Bill Barr, uh, I sent it to him, he said, you know, it's a colorable legal argument. It's anywhere between colorable legal argument to hard law. So, so I think you gotta understand this stuff yeah. to actually govern in these complicated times. But back to the point is, that's the irony, is 
Trump himself is the victim yeah. now of an administrative failed state that a leader, including him, failed to fully reform. We got to go the distance with America first. Get the job done. Vengeance and grievance will not get the job done all the way. It's kind of like what Reagan did in the 1980s. There's an opportunity to do it with a moral foundation based on first principles. Well, let's, let's go further than anybody ever did in this movement. That is what I'm aiming to do here. Let, let's talk about the, the primary and the presidency and all that stuff. Yeah. I think for a lot of people, I'm, I'll, I'll be completely blunt. Yeah, and, of course. Uh, the only the, way. The first thing I'll say is, when I said this is the future of politics, the fact that you're you're running, you've got the means to do it. Yeah. And we're sitting here in this raw two-hour recorded conversation is is, is it's relatively unprecedented in terms of uh, electoral politics. I mean, I, Trump wouldn't do it. When we talk about interviewing Trump, they say he might give you 20 minutes because he's a very busy guy. And I, I respect that. Ron DeSantis, also a very busy guy. It's not that they're but, busy. These guys will spend that much time, especially DeSantis, <laughs> spend hours in a cloistered room somewhere with, with a bunch of political and, consultants exactly. planning out. It's because it's because they can't it's because they don't want to go off script, right? That's right. actually the issue. So here's my prediction. I think we'll see you on the debate stage. Yeah. I think you will get a substantial amount of votes. I think Donald Trump will win the primary. And then I will vote for him. I think that's what's going to end up happening. After everything you said already, I'll probably vote for you in the primary and then end up voting for Trump in the in the general, because I think generally speaking in this country, they're just going to vote for Trump. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, I'm not a political analyst, man, so I don't have strong objections that I'm going to like push back with you on. I'm I'm not in the business of I'm not even a politician. Right. So who am I to make? I don't, I don't I have authority on a lot of things. Political science of polling and who's going to vote for who. I, you know, I, I mean, hell if look, I know, right? But what I am going to do is I'm going to be crystal clear about what I think needs to be the ingredient for a national revival in this country. I think I'm going to be unapologetic. I'm not going to mince words, not going to play some political game of snakes and ladders. And I would rather lose the primary, the election, whatever it is, and say what I believed at every step of the way, as we've been doing for the last hour here, and lose this election rather than play the political snakes and ladders and win. And I view it as a fun experiment. The experiment yeah. for me is, I'm actually really curious how the world and the country works right now. Like, does does that get rewarded all the way to victory? I, I, my, my gut says kind of like, yeah, I mean, I'm in this because I think the answer to that is yes. Otherwise, there's plenty of other ways to have an impact. Keep, I'm churning out a book every six months and building businesses. I could keep doing that. And I'm pretty satisfied. Personally, it's a lot it's a lot more fun and, and, and liberating than partisan politics. But it'd be interesting to see. I mean, does does the world work? Does the country work in a way that that strategy actually is the winning one. But I could see worlds in which we win without occupying a particular political position or occupying the political position while you actually lose the real thing because you become a hollowed out husk, speaking of hollow, hollowed out right. husk of yourself in the process. And so, and so that's, it's the game I'm playing is really different than I think what most people who go into running for president are playing is I'm playing to win. That's, that's, that can, you know, winning, you, 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 can, you can win the nominal race and lose the actual war you're in, or you could lose the race and win the war you're in. And, and I'd like to think we live in a world where those things match, but we'll find out. So, you know, the reason I say this is clearly just historical bias, right? What we've seen with anyone who we, we saw is challenging the system, how things played out. There's the favorite. We assume they're going to win. But uh, I'll also add. Everybody laughed when they said Trump was going to be the the, G, the GOP nominee, and then he That's got true, it. That's true, actually, yeah. And then everyone was kind of shocked by it. And I'm so actually I'll, polling where Trump was when he came down the escalator, I was told recently. So, oh, wow, really? You know, which is to say very low. <laughs> yeah. But but regardless, I think Trump has done a few good things that has uh, 
warmed me back up to him. A year ago, I was like, you know what? I'm for DeSantis. Because really, we only had two choices at the time. Yeah. There was talk of Trump running again. Everybody knew he was. And then maybe DeSantis is your guy. And I said, DeSantis is getting the job done in Florida and Trump is whining about 2020. I'm annoyed by it. But now we've seen something different. Ron DeSantis is coming off as, look, I like the guy. He's done a great job in Florida, but he's coming off as generic. He's coming off as going through the motions. Answer, as you described it, as, you know, he's just doing the things on on the surface level. And Donald Trump is now putting out videos addressing culture war issues, things that are very important to us. Um, And the most important thing to me, outside of the fact that Trump is actually now, you know, putting up real policy positions, going to East Palestine. Totally. And so I respect it. And what I said, and I'll say it while we got you here is, where was Marianne Williamson? Mm -hmm. She's running for president. Where was Vivek Ramaswamy? He's running for president. You know, you know what I did actually for the East Palestine. I mean, I'm from Ohio. I, I'm just, I just looked in the mirror. I said, I, I could show up at East Palestine. By that point, I had just declared. I'll be really honest. Those people didn't, sh- didn't give a damn if I show up in East Palestine <laughs> or not. And Donald Trump had been their president. And he did. So I, that's true. I, 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 they voted for him. So, so I'm not saying it was Donald Trump as a political stunt. If I went there, that's a political stunt. So I, I don't, I don't like bragging about this. But you don't know what I did do when I self reflected on that. I wrote a six figure check, and I, you know, I didn't make a big fuss about it. And gave it to a nonprofit that was actually aiding people who were suffering in that community. And like the political move would be to then own that and issue some press release at the time. We didn't know because for me, the question is, what does leadership mean? It means serving the cause that you actually care about in the country. But so that, you don't know where I was? That's where I was. You got to tell people you did. And this is, this is, the, this is the funny thing, It right? just feels like I don't believe, I, I, I hate that to do it. signaling. It's so fake. But like you're asking me here man to man and we're having this conversation. This is the first time I'm saying it in public. Right. Okay. That's what I did. And so I gave but, a six-figure check to help the people in East Palestine because I thought that was going to have a bigger impact to a nonprofit. It was a church there that was actually aiding people on the ground. I thought more than me showing up with the camera crew, that was what was going to be more useful. And actually, that's different from saying that I'm not saying that Donald Trump did a political stunt. He did what he should have done. People and, who voted it's, for it's, him, and showed up for him. Yeah, I like should, that. And, and you know what? A year from now, I'll be a figure where maybe six months from now, where, where my showing up would have been more valuable but than the check that I wrote. But I, I just care about, the, care about the purpose. It's the double-edged sword, right? Yeah. If you're like, I don't want to do a political stunt, then people say you did nothing. And yeah, if you I'm, do I'm something, not, I'm not, they say I'm just, I'm just not. And so, so here's the whole point for me in this cold campaign, like I told you. I'm not asking the question of how it's going to be perceived. Yeah. I'm really not. I'm just doing what I think is right. And it'll be an interesting experiment to see whether or not that is a successful electoral strategy. My bet is, so, in the fullness of time, it will be. And, you know, the conversation I'm having with you here about civic duty. I mean, like, just like, let's just talk about it. We just spent about half an hour discussing a serious proposal that I'm weighing to make people actually fulfill a demonstrable civic duty, men and women both, before they get to vote. I mean, that's going to make people go Nuts. You might get some articles written but, about but you. That, but that's okay. Like I, I'm, I'm speaking truth at every step, and we'll figure out whether that's a successful electoral strategy or not. And, and that's the same reason why I didn't want to wear it on my sleeve that I did something substantive, if I may say so, yeah. to help people in East Palestine, is that I didn't want to make an advertisement out of it. And that's, and the that's just the way we're doing this. The that's cha- just the way we're doing this. The challenge is if a tree f- falls in the woods and no one's around to hear it, did it really happen? Yeah. And so what ends up happening is you know, and with all due respect, I'm on the show and I'm saying, I like Donald Trump. He went to East Palestine, goes to McDonald's and he buys food for people. He brings pallets. The left mocked him saying, oh, he brought Trump water from his hotels. Oh, he brought this food from his hotels. And I'm he like, did something. yeah, he gave his stuff he did to something. these people. And, and you know, so, so here's, here's where I'm at also on the race. I mean, Trump is not a plastic politician. I'm going to be pretty I, honest. Everybody <laughs> else in this race, Ron DeSantis included, 
is a plastic stuffed suit. They're circus monkeys that jump to what Twitter tells them to do. It's really what they are. I mean, it's I like, agree. not that different than Dylan Mulvaney, actually. I, I agree completely. And, and, and even, even, you know, Disney has the last laugh in the end. BlackRock has the last laugh in the end. Oh, we're going to pull $700 million out. Oh, I get my little, I get my little uh, conservative media bump out of it, get a little trend on Twitter. Oh, and then I'm just going to do a little truce, uh, $13 billion with BlackRock and a bunch of BlackRock lobbyists are also people who are in my pocket. Okay. Uh, same thing with Disney. Okay, I'm going to get the Twitter trend out of it, and then Disney has the last laugh. At least it would appear that way right now. It doesn't matter because the thing they're solving for isn't even what is acting on conviction. It's just what the professional politician is supposed to do. You know, that's Ron DeSantis, and it's not just Ron DeSantis. I'm just talking about him because he's the leader of the pack. It's it's any career politician. That's how they behave. It's just how they're wired, what they're trained to do. We don't really have demarchic, uh, you know, yeah, service in this country. I like the idea, though. I like the idea too. It's interesting, but 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 this is what you get when you don't, right? Is a class of professional politicians. Donald Trump is not that. I I won't even pretend he's that. Now I I do think that he's somebody I respect. Actually, as an outsider, what he did in 2015, 2016 is what I'm doing now. I I think there's two things I would say though. One is you get to be an outsider once. I'm not going to be the same person. If I get successfully elected, win this thing, run the country, take on the administrative state in the way I'm going to attempt to shut down the FBI, IRS, I intend to follow through with it. <laughs> I love it. I'm not going to be the same person if I sit with you here eight years from now that I am today. It's just, right. I'm human. Donald Trump is human. It doesn't work that way, okay? You go in to drain the swamp, maybe you will, but it drains you back. It's a two-sided war, Okay. Donald Trump is not the same Donald Trump that existed in 2015. It's just a fact. Yeah. It's, it's just true. I'm not, it's not critical or anything. I won't be the same person eight years from now that I am today. I've got fresh legs as an outsider. Okay, you get to be that outsider once. You seize that. You do as much as you can. You take the ball as far as you take it. You drop the mic. Let the next guy pick it up. Now, my view is the tradition in the GOP should be for the presidency. It's fine for foot soldiers governors, congressmen, senators, et cetera, to be, you know, people that are products and trained in the political system. Well, that, so be it, if, if that's the way it's got to be. But for the White House, you want someone to take on the permanent state, it should be the outsider. Okay. We should be the party that puts the outsider in the White House. Democrats can be the party, the professional politician. Now, I think that what's, so, so that leaves two people in this race. And I think by, by this fall, let's call it by this November, I think heading into the you know, the the elections next year. I think that either shortly after the the early states, and if not even before the early states, it's going to be a two-person race between me and Donald Trump because that's where this ends up. I think that's where the base is at in terms of understanding this got to be the outside. No DeSantis? I, not, in a, not in a serious way. No, I think he's he's more or less irrelevant. Either shortly wow. after, if not, if, if, if not even shortly after, even before the early states. I think he's like, he goes Scott wanna, Walker, Jeb Bush is what I, I think. Right. I want to say this too. I think, and I'll say it again, DeSantis did a lot of really great stuff. Yeah, I, lo I like him. And Stay as a governor. He can continue to do some good stuff. He's a the, foot soldier. There's surprisingly, uh, you know, Luke Rutkowski, for instance, is a, a friend of the show. Yeah. He's got his, his own YouTube channel, We Are Change. He's a very libertarian, anarchist kind of personality. He hates government, and he praises Ron DeSantis. He likes these things. Hmm. But I got to be honest, when I see you speak, when I see Ron DeSantis speak, I, I don't see Ron DeSantis being able to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with you on a debate stage. Yeah, can I, tell, can I, can I share something that's actually going to, you know, piss some people off too? Um, yes. I'm just gonna, this is actually, a lot, a lot, you're getting a lot of firsts out of me because you're just like really honest and, and I think we should just do so, so, so there was an event. Uh, I, was on the, I was on the book tour for Woke Inc. Okay. Uh, Ron DeSantis and I are both speaking at that event. 
you know, he's the main speaker. Nobody's coming to, you know, I'm not the main person people are coming to hear, but I was also a speaker. I speak, you know, whatever. It, it, different environments are different. I get a standing ovation or whatever. He comes on afterwards, more muted crowd reaction. He's pissed. <laughs> he leaves. He was supposed to stay for the dinner. He leaves. The, one of the sponsors of the table pulled me aside afterwards. Oh, great job, et cetera. You know, donor guy says, hey, just give you a piece of advice. In the future, when you're speaking with Ron on stage, don't upstage him. I think you upstaged him. I think no he was way. a little bit upset. Oh, I'm not kidding you. And Ron, and he was, it was clear was upset. Yeah, absolutely. And so I, I did speak on many stages with Ron DeSantis since then. Mm. And I kept that advice in mind. I'm not running for office. So every time in my mind, I'm like, all right, so be How careful. Do you not don't upstage? speak. Don't speak to, uh, you know, be a little bit more demure. Let's say we're in a fireside chat. We've done that before, too. You know, make sure you throw in enough praise for him just because. You know, he likes that. And I'm not doing it to suck up to him. I just want it to be a better event, better conversation, because yeah. it's not it's not great when a guy just goes storming off and is angry because people didn't applaud for him. It's just uncomfortable <laughs> for everybody, right? But to me, that, that, I mean, that's just that's just a professional politician, you know, thin ego, thin skin syndrome. That's not the guy, right? And so, so now I'm competing against Ron DeSantis. You better believe. <laughs> you better believe place. I'm bringing it. And right, he's going to be irrelevant well, by comparison. But, but, but back to the point, two people, right? It's going to be me and Donald Trump, two outsiders. And I think that there would be a strong case for both. But I am in this race because I think I can take the America first agenda that Trump himself cares about. I can take that further than Trump did. Trump went as far. He tried and he toiled for this country and he made progress and he took it about as far as he was going to go. Maybe he can go a little further. Right. COVID. A lot of things got in the way of that fourth year. But he went about okay. as far as he was going to go. Maybe a little further. I've got fresh legs. I'm Trump in 2015 and then some because I'm not just doing a, a fresh legs. B, I'm younger, neck reach the next generation. I think that's an important part of this. But C, if you're doing it based on first principles, moral foundation, you will go further than anybody will in the system let you if you're doing it based on some sense of personal grievance personal vengeance or personality driven agenda. And and I just think that don't don't do it because I'm that's the wrong way. I think go with me because it's the right way to just go further with the agenda itself. And that's why I'm talking about affirmative action and Donald Trump isn't. That's you know, exactly you, why. You know what it is? There's 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 actually one factor that steps in first when I when I think of can someone survive a debate on a stage? And it's wit. It's your it's your your quick quick responsiveness, simply put. Hmm. When I see DeSantis speak, I, I got to be honest, based on what I've seen of him speaking and seen of you speaking, you seem like DeSantis will say, point, make a point, and you'll already have in your mind 10 counters, 10 additional statements to make, ready to rapid fire. I don't see that for DeSantis. I think, I think, I appreciate the compliment on skill or whatever. I don't think it's skill though. I I'm think the reason at the heart of wit is actually having beliefs. Yeah. Deep seated beliefs. And I think that like if you just take the, about it, I mean, if you just if you just take the take the example of like whatever the response to the Trump indictment or whatever. Right. It took him like a solid couple of days to muster up some sort of response. Then after two weeks, then you get all the advice and the policy planning, et cetera. OK, right. let's play this exactly right. Let's you know say what? we'll extradite him because then we know he's going to actually surrender. So we look like we have the upper hand. And let it's let so me, let calculated, let me, let me, dude. Let me ask you. Let me ask you. Yeah. What the, the the moment the news came down that Trump would be indicted, what would you have said in your press conference? I did say it. Oh, what did you say? I literally said it. Yeah. I mean, like, like I just I woke up that morning. We probably pull up the video on Twitter. Maybe pull it up after this. Check it out. 
I just found out on Saturday when we're campaigning in South Carolina. It's a Saturday morning when I woke up. Apparently, news came out Friday night or that Saturday morning. When I woke up, I saw it. This was wrong. This is un-American. We're not a country where the party in power uses its power, police power to arrest political opponents. And why did I speak up? I thought I had credibility because I'm running against Donald Trump. And this is before he'd been indicted. I thought that if more people who are running against Trump on principled ground came out against it, and I have this legal background, et cetera, pointed out a lot of the flaws about what was reported about the potential case. I thought it would have the potential to avert a bad thing from happening. I thought you know, that, that those of us in this race competing against Donald Trump could publicly avert. So I gave a speech in South Carolina that day. Nikki Haley spoke at the same place. I, she spoke on stage. I went on after. I held a press conference right there. We did a little press gaggle afterwards. I said, I call on everybody prospectively or otherwise in this race, Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley included, by tomorrow morning to join me in calling on Manhattan DA Alvin Bragg from pursuing to, to this politicized it. prosecution. A you million know, people saw it. Not a word from Ron DeSantis, though. Not I a get, word from Ron DeSantis. Until the weeks later when he maps out, okay, the political strategies, the advisors, what do we do? Oh, I have an idea, guys. I don't think Trump will actually stay in Florida. So let's be the ones who say, after he says he won't actually do it, within 48 hours but then two weeks later, it's like, oh, well, maybe we can bluff that we won't get involved in an extradition process so that we look stronger. I, it's just uh, calculus. But, hold, but hold, so this is this. He, he I, I, 10 favorability points in the gutter for DeSantis for me on this one, because what does he do? He comes out and says, look, we're not getting involved in whatever this is. I don't know what goes into paying a porn star hush money. So and then virtue signal to his base by saying Soros as many times as he can. Right. Yes. And it was you, so forced. But, but some Soros back. It's just like. You know, George Moore's a bad guy, but but he's saying that for a different reason to cover up for his failure to actually have courage here's, to stand against the indictment of Donald Trump. I'll tell you what I want to hear, and I want to hear it because it's what I would say. The moment the news came down of a pending indictment, I would hold a press conference and I would look directly into the cameras and say, mark my words, no one will lay one finger on Donald Trump in my state. There will not be an extradition. And that is that. The moment that came out. So, so you look at it. Yeah. He so said, you look at the moment that I came out. Look at what I said. Look at what Ron DeSantis said. And this isn't a competition on this one thing. This is symptomatic. Same thing, Silicon Valley Bank. I don't know where you are on that stuff, but I was the staunch opponent of government intervention for a protected class favored bailout. They got it. He didn't say they got it. And, I, and again, <laughs> and again, I'm in, I'm in this for the country, right? So, so in Trump's case, as in that case, I was in the pages of the Wall Street Journal before Janet Yellen's press conference. Why? Because I think we can actually sometimes those of us who have public positions of authority, platforms, et cetera, can at least help influence the dialogue. I didn't I didn't succeed on my own then. Where was Ron DeSantis? He didn't say a word after that bailout. You want to know why? Because one of the Silicon Valley venture capitalists, David Sachs and others who were clamoring for their own. And, and I guess it's not their fault. It's not if you're arguing for people giving you money, I guess that's not your fault. <laughs> it's just other people's fault for believing you. Yeah. What does he do? He's hosting, he's the guy who then hosts a fundraiser for Ro Khanna, the Democratic congressman who lobbies for a bailout. Turns out to be a big fundraiser holding fundraisers for DeSantis. Really? Absolutely. Wow. So so, so this is this is how the system works. Yeah. You know, in the professional politician class, I'm not faulting DeSantis for not having money or to be able to self-fund or whatever. It's just, you're captured. You're captured yeah, by the system. You, you've convinced me of a lot uh, this year today, Vivek. You know, I, I, I mainly want Trump Right now, because uh, for one, I think his foreign policy was just beautiful. Um, not perfect. But, yeah, but it was uh, good. It was strong. Yeah, and, and the moment- I'm still going to go further than he did with that America First agenda on the foreign policy side. We could have used the military 
to secure the border. The wall was never going to be enough. But but the small stuff. I mean, we we can pick it building, not small stuff, big stuff. But you can always, even after I'm in for four years, somebody's going to be able to point to things that I didn't do just because you don't get to them in four years. But I, I, so I'm with you on that. I think you're 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 really taking DeSantis down uh, um, a peg or two, and and I'm not saying that in a disrespect disrespectful or like uh, um, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm trying to say like a lot of people don't know about who's behind Ron DeSantis. I don't think there necessarily needs to be any kind of like. I hate you. You hate me. This no, fear not at all. Like that because I think he's done a good job. But I actually think he's a good governor in Florida. He's he's, he's a good governor. I think but he should I, stay I, governor. People are saying like Trump then DeSantis, and I'm like I don't know. Maybe I think it's probably you. Uh, in terms of anyone I've heard talk about their plans, the agenda, what's going on in this country, you've you've said more to me that matters than even Trump has ever said. The thing about Trump is, I think he's got a substantially higher likelihood of winning this election. And I think the revenge is going to result in a, in a schedule F termination of all these bureaucrats. I think you'd likely do that, too. If you win the GOP oh, nomination, you've got my vote. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Um, and, and I'll take your vote in the primary, too, even if I'm not going to win. So you know what I mean? So that, I'll take yeah. that, too. The, the, Ian's so a big fan, by F. the way, too. What's that? Ian's a huge fan. Uh, Ian Cross. Oh, nice. IRL. He, he's, he's, he's constantly bringing up. Uh, he's not in the room right now, but. Okay, okay. But then. But Tell him I said, hey, yeah, that's yeah. I thought I was looking but over here the, like he's the, in the funny room. thing about. You pointed Ian, over here, so. <laughs> well, he normally sits over okay, there. Okay, okay, But But Ian is just this very, very, um, I don't know, confident. And he says stuff like, I should be Vivek's VP. I should be his VP. I'm like, okay, Ian. <laughs> well, I'm, 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 you know, I, I appreciate, I appreciate the vote of confidence or whatever, but. Let's just let's say it's a couple things about the Schedule F thing, because this is a good example of even going further than Trump did. So, so let's talk about uh, your, your audience probably knows this. so I don't need to bore you with the details. But the basic gist is they wanted to cleanse the administrative state. And so what do they do? They came up with a clever solution. I know the people in the White House, in the Trump White House, who were, who were advancing this. In fact, I've actually given them some advice on this particular path. They've asked for it and I've given it to them. And, and I think it's, it's a positive step forward. So what they're saying is, okay, there's civil service protections, laws passed by Congress that say you can't fire bureaucrats, but there are exceptions to those civil service protections that say if you're in a policymaking role, then the president can fire you, even if you're in a technical bureaucratic role, they can't. So that what that's called Schedule F, effectively. I'm simplifying it. But what it means is then they, they said, okay, 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 we're going to redefine that more broadly to say that more of those roles are policymaking roles so we can fire more of those people. I'm all in favor of that. That's still small ball. You want to know what the right answer is? Yeah, what is it? Article 2 of the Constitution. Read against those civil service protections and then read the civil service protections carefully, measured against a different statute called the presidential reorganization powers. I don't think we need Schedule F. You could just do it right now. And I'll tell you, you know, Trump has been a CEO. I've been a CEO. I've built the company, multi-billion dollar business, you know, different kind of company. But we've both been in the private sector. I'll bring you a simple understanding of the Article 2 of the Constitution. Take my Yale Law School hat off and put on my CEO hat, Okay. If somebody works for you and you can't fire them, they don't work for you. Yeah. It means you work for them because you're responsible for what they do without having any authority over it. That's the position that Trump put himself in. So you know what? I'd fire him. So you know what would happen, and this is why Trump didn't do it, is that they would sue. And they would they would take that to the Supreme Court. Well, guess what I've done? I've studied the current Supreme Court. The composition, and I give Trump some credit for this because he helped create the composition. Yeah, three of them. Of that Supreme Court. So full props to my man Trump for that, okay? But now start, <laughs> now use it. Use it in yeah. your favor. Those guys agree with this position. So let's say we do that. What do we do? We permanently, we permanently codify the end of the administrative permanent state that rules the president, that we ensure the people who we elect to run the government, who would have ever thought, 
end up being the people who actually run the government, because then it's not just during my term in office. That's codified in precedent by the Supreme Court and any future president. What do I say? It's the model of Trump had his four years, did what he could, drop the mic, I'll pick it up, take it to the, you know, take it to the you know, next first down, drop the mic, the next guy picks it up. I've made his job easier because we codified that in Supreme Court precedent itself. So that's the way we got to be thinking. You know, and, and this is just, just, just to sort of finish getting this thought on the table, because I think it goes to the distinction between Trump and me and goes to, look, I'm an America first guy. I'm a, I'm a pro-Trump guy, 2020, all in for him. America first, MAGA, these ideas do not belong to any one man. They are bigger than any of us. It's bigger than Donald Trump. It is bigger than me. We are vehicles for advancing that agenda. It is bigger than the Republican Party. In fact, we're just co-opting the Republican Party to advance this agenda. So it's even bigger than partisan politics, which means you can unite the country where a lot of independents and even some weird Democrats are actually going to come along with this. That is what this is about. And I will take that further than Trump ever did. That's just my distinction from Trump, from two people who are arm in arms. I'll tell you this too. If Donald Trump wins, I will help him. If I win, I expect and hope and, and, and fully expect that Trump will help me. I will take him as an advisor. But it's about getting the agenda advanced. I, I don't need professional plastic politicians doing it and DeSantis should, should govern in Florida. But I think that when we're talking about actually reforming the country, that's the way this looks. I'm and sure, I, uh, think we can, I, th I think we're going to do it. I think we'll get it done. We had Milo Yiannopoulos on the show a few months ago, and uh, this was, I think, back in October or November. And I asked him, he said, he says, Daddy Trump all the way. It's going to be Trump. And I asked him about Ron DeSantis, and he goes, Ron, he, he goes on to say that Ron DeSantis has no charisma. And he says he has the charisma of something off-putting, like when you're reaching for something and you accidentally touch a wet sponge. <laughs> And I was like, that was one of the best on the fly smackdowns of anyone ever. And I'm not like, you know, we're going to I assume we're going to talk to Ron DeSantis at some point. I assume we're going to talk to his team and everything like that. And I, they're probably just getting all pissed off at me because I, I bring these things up. And it's just such a good hit from Milo as to why he doesn't think DeSantis has it. And that's ad hominem. But, so I'm not even bringing that. It's not ad hominem. It's but, personal. But, but let me, to me it's just professional politicians. The problem, the uh, charisma, people even bring this up. But that's it's it. not a that's skill set. It's 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 a symptom of lacking. Con when you have conviction, there's a lot of ways to have charisma, right? Robert F. Kennedy, by the way, he's going to come on my podcast uh, pretty soon too. I, I invited him. I he's running as Democrat. I don't care. So so he, it's going to be funny. Him. Two contenders, you know? Yeah, whatever. But but but, but not even just two people who care who, who care about the country and are, are willing to be heterodox in their respective parties in different ways. We're going to have a conversation. You know, he's not he's not what your textbook example of what you would learn in third grade for being charismatic as a speaker but he has a certain charisma about him because the charisma is just a vehicle for conviction yeah ron DeSantis doesn't lack charisma he lacks conviction right and any professional politician does too ukraine i was here oh no i was here except when tucker asked me to oh wait people push back oh then i'm actually not there in ukraine you can't be a flag waving in whatever in direction voice. the wind blows when, you know? when when ron DeSantis talks about any of these issues i don't i don't feel it yeah you don't he feel says it. look we can't have these kids undergoing these kinds of sex change operations, not in our state. Look, the Soros DAs, I, you don't trust them because, and I'm just like, I don't feel it. You yeah, Somebody gave you that it. script, man. We all know it. We all know yeah. somebody gave you that script. Now, the, the point is, actually, here's something I would like. You can make the other candidates do this with me. No teleprompters, no written speeches by others. That seems like a basic table stakes rule. Probably the primary, will, will the primary process be better off or worse off if you got rid of red written speeches by others, 
and no teleprompters. I think it's strictly better. I mean, the people are at least better off. So that's I like, know that's Trump like, can handle it. Uh, Trump can handle it. In fact, I think he's better. They, his 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 handlers try to put him on yep. the teleprompter. He's worse at it too. I he's, agree. He's better when he's off. Yep. So that's just advice. It's right? fun. It's funny. It's fun. He has more fun, and I do it too. I I mean, I don't I don't use that stuff anyway. It's because it's not fun. Yeah, so, Trump's but, funnier than you, though. That, Trump is funnier. <laughs> than, you know, I, I actually, I actually had you, you, haven't, you haven't let me see my uh, true colors yet, though. But but he's he's a pretty funny guy, so I'm not gonna like. I'm not. Well, gonna, I just want to say I'm gonna diss him on that. I've been to multiple Trump rallies. He's pretty. Yeah, he's he's. A, it's I've been stand up comedy. Yeah, it's pretty fun. It's it's, yeah. it's so charismatic. It's I actually so had a uh, failed career as a stand up comedian myself. Oh really? Uh, but it was failed. I, <laughs> I, 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 I'll, I'll have some humility. Trump is. Trump is probably just on stage more of uh, it's like there's a rough, been raw funny. Just, he's a funnier I, guy, than, but um, but, I'm, but you haven't seen me in action yet, so we'll we'll sort of all get, right, some, all right. get some. But I anyway, just, I, I love when he's he he went to the rally one time and he goes, "The lights, they make me yeah, look orange." Really funny. Yeah, so so like, he knows. So, you know? but that's not a, but that's not the teleprompter, right? So I would say yeah. get rid of the teleprompter, get rid of the written speeches. Just just that's an easy thing for candidates to do. But the the thing is. As it relates to as it relates to DeSantis and as it relates to people like him, okay, it's not even that you can't grab the beer with him or the charisma. It's not the personal skill set, because because like Mike Pence is a much more personable guy, or Nikki Haley's you know in, in a certain sense of the word personable. It's that they actually are just designed to be stuffed suits, the equivalent of a flag that waves in whatever direction yeah. the wind blows on a given day. And like our base, our movement, maybe the Republican Party is different than our movement that I'm talking about. It You're is. not part of the Republican Party. Our movement doesn't want that. You want the real thing. But it's it's younger people, I think. I, I think, think so. that's really the divide. The left has their version with the, the, the AOC types, you know. Yeah, but I think even, I th oh, you mean younger candidates or younger voters? Because I don't younger I think voters. This is, See, I think this is true about older voters too in the country. I mean, when I travel across the country, you know, begin to go to Iowa, New Hampshire, et cetera. I think there are people who are 62 years old. You're right. Who you're still right. who still want the thing that I'm talking about, which is somebody who's outside of the professional politician let, let me, mold. Let, let, yeah. me, let me say, you are correct. I was wrong. And and I'll clarify as I think about it. It's a lot of these older people who've never voted before. Yeah. Or who are totally. now are now saying, finally, we have an option. Yeah. And I think I think that I'm not a political analyst. So everything I said so far is much more important than what I'm about to say. But I think that there's a there's an interesting convergence. Speaking of two rivers colliding and creating a force ten times more powerful, this is the good version of that. Between I would say our MAGA base and kind of like the old school Ron Paul base, right? That that's converging right now against yep. the administrative police state. I'm the only person I've said I'll shut down the FBI. I'm gonna lay off ninety percent of the people in the Federal Reserve. <laughs> I, I actually have a deep I have a deep view on the Federal Reserve. Uh, needs you to got go back bodyguards? to its narrow purpose. I actually do now, <laughs> so that's good news. Um, but you know, and, and it's it's good to be uh, you know, I live the full arc of the American dream. We're making the sacrifice to put money in this campaign, but yeah, we're, we'll we'll take the steps we need to as a family to do that and protect ourselves because some of the stuff I'm saying, even about the trans movement right now, is is making people mad. But anyway, put that to yeah. one side. The the point is. I think there's an opportunity where the kinds of people that were behind Ron, Ron Paul in, in 2008, I think combined with our MAGA movement, I mean, that's a, the America First movement broadly. I think, I think that together is the superset of what we call the America First movement today. Let's not make it about the person this time. Make it about the agenda and then pick who's going to be the best vehicle. It's like it's like we're on a team and that we're was, taking it to the end zone. Let's get our first downs to take it all the way. Trump got it pretty far. My goal is I want to be the guy that gets it to the end zone. If I don't get all the way there, I'll drop the mic, give it to the next guy and lay the path for him that, to score the touchdown. This is what I've said of Trump. He's He was the avatar 
of the rage felt by regular Americans because right. of the administration. It was a state. vehicle for grievance. Yeah. And so uh, Michael Moore said that uh, he was a human Molotov cocktail, the biggest F you. I mean, Michael Moore's speech was actually really brilliant until he made the big mistake. I don't know if you heard it. He said, no, he said, you know, he explains a bunch of the problems in this country. Donald Trump is the first person. He walks into these auto manufacturers and says, if you build these cars overseas, I will tax you 30 percent and no one will buy your car again. And that resonated with these working class people who have seen their industry. I think it resonated destroyed. with Michael Moore. It did. I think it resonated and with Michael Moore. He won't admit it. But yeah, I, I know because he's this guy. He's this Michigan working class. Absolutely. Suppo- yeah. supposed to be. And then he, made the, he, he said, so people will vote for Donald Trump and it will be the biggest F you in history. And he's like, and they'll be happy for a month, maybe a year. And then they'll start to realize, full stop, that's where, he, that's where he lost it. Okay. They were happy the whole time. And then they wanted Trump again. And then when Trump didn't get it, they were really angry to the point where they couldn't believe he would lose. Yep. And they still want Donald Trump. But it's because, in my view, Trump is the avatar. He is a bully. And, and I mean, in a good way, he is the guy, he's the bully, but he's standing in front of you. So those people who are picking on you the whole time, you he know got what we should them. do, Tim? It just occurs to me. Like, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt this train of thought. No, 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 I was yeah, hearing that, that was it. We should have a, what's your your evening show? What's it called? Tim Cast. Tim Cast IRL. Tim Cast IRL. Yeah. yeah, the one I came on. We should have one with me and Trump both on. I Okay. Let's do that, actually. Sure. <laughs> yeah, it'd be fun. You, we, uh, I think I think we could smoke some of this out. I think it'd be fun. I mean, Trump's a friend, too. I mean, we, we'll, I'm sure If we you can organize us sitting down with Donald Trump, we will gladly make that happen. Yeah, well, let's, I mean, why not? Let's have at it. And I, you I know, because we've been talking so, about so, 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 I'll tell you this. The Trump of 2015 would have done it. <laughs> Definitely. No, I think the Trump I, of 2015 would have done it. You know, like I said, of, I'm not going to be the same person eight years from now. And so, so, you know, he's, he's been in, you know, he's been through, he's been through a hellish eight years too. So I don't know if, I don't know if he would say yes to that, but the Trump in 2015 definitely is a yes. The me of today, definitely a yes. And I think, and Ron DeSantis is definitely a no. It's just an issue you know? of, it's, yeah. it's not an issue of whether I think either of you'd be willing to do a sit down. It's a question of, am I, is, is, is like Tim Poole, the guy to go on, the, you know what I mean? Like they'll go, yeah. on, go on Joe Rogan. Yeah, I mean. fine. Let's do so, it. so my thing is like whenever I whenever I hear this, you know, I shout out to Ian, who's always saying things like he's like, we should get Brad Pitt on the show. And I'm like, OK, look, dude, yeah. like we don't well, have I, the poll for this. Well, I think I think you're doing all right in the conservative movement, though. Yeah. But anyway, but put, put that but, you know, you more know than is, all right. And it's not in the conservative movement. But we're, but here's the here's here's the here's the issue. I like, think it's kind of interesting. When I say when I say when I say that we're doing to Trump in 2015, I mean, like going on Joe Rogan is like the, the everyone says to me, that's that's the thing you're supposed to do. Next. And I, I like, I mean, but, but I'll tell you, I'll fine, tell you why. It's actually kind of interesting to, to take the the off the beaten track conversations actually the, the, I think are, are equally interesting. The reason why so many people like Tim Cast IRL, for those I don't know, I'm assuming what's to be doing it's nightly show at 8 p.m. is because the audience is moderate. It's mostly middle of the road. It's like a th- we, we've polled a couple times. It's decently libertarian. The largest faction are disaffected liberal moderate types. Really? Yep. And then conservatives actually, I think, I think it's, uh, I think conservatives are the, like Trump supporting conservatives are the third biggest. So it's principally middle of the road people. They, they're probably voting for Trump. They may consider themselves conservative now, but they t- traditionally were not followed by libertarians, followed by actual conservatives who have like been conservative for a long time. And I think it's kind of obvious why, because that's, that's where I'm at. I'm, I was, I grew up in Chicago as a Chicago urban liberal mm-hmm. and then said, these people are corrupt, find myself voting for Trump, but I'm not a staunch conservative. So my opinions probably resonate more with that group than with like diehard conservative Trump supporters. So what ends up happening is we don't have the biggest show in the world. We do have like typically the biggest live stream on YouTube for the time slot. 
But the but we had Marjorie Taylor Greene on the show, and the response was amazing. People saying, "I've never heard her speak before. I thought she was insane." Well, of course, Trump supporters and conservatives have heard her speak. Yeah, that's why they like her and they vote for her. But regular people thought she was just insane based on the news reports. Steve Bannon comes on the show, and they say, "I didn't realize Bannon was like this economic populist guy. I thought he was a racist. I've never heard him speak before." And so we're not getting the millions of views of like Steve Crowder or whatever or Steve Bannon. But we're, we're reaching a group of people that everyone's kind of fighting over, which is the moderate middle of the road kind of kind of voice that that's who I feel like where I'm at. Mm-hmm. I don't like the Democrats. I don't like Joe Biden. I don't like the establishment. We want viable alternatives. Trump has his issues, but I'll vote for him because he does things that I like, especially with foreign policy. Whereas the hardcore Trump supporters vote for Trump basically at this point, no matter what, because they're like, he's our guy. So long story short, maybe. We can get you and Trump to sit down yeah, together simply because there are people in the, you know, we reach a lot of these independents and moderates who want to want to know the difference and want to hear it. But I got to be honest, I think the reason Trump might not do it is because you're going to you're going to win. Mm. You, Trump's Trump's you're going to bring up very specific things Trump's not going to be familiar with. He's not going to want to sit for two hours. And if Trump does get up and leave and you stick around, that gives you the final word. Mm-hmm. I think that's the risk to anybody in politics. To put it simply, I mean, you have the energy, the knowledge, and the willingness that I don't think other people have. And you know what? If I'm twice so, my age or even eight years from now after running the country for eight years, I'm not going to be, the, I'm probably not going to be the same person now either, right? I'm going to have wrinkles, <laughs> going to be tired, don't have fresh legs anymore. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's just the way the system works is it can't be tethered. I mean, if you believe in America first, it's bigger than one man. Let's let's treat it accordingly. So let me let me let me ask you a direct question. I guess uh, I, don't, I guess you don't have to answer, but are you yeah. a billionaire? I'm close. <laughs> I, think. I don't look at my bank account every Almost. day. I think there have been uh, days where I have been, uh, but uh, you know, north of half a billion is is the, is the zip code I'm in. So my my question for you then is, I often say on the show, if if I had the means and the wealth and the resources, there are so many things that I would fire off on, hiring people, starting companies yep. to win a culture war. And I wonder why it is. I'll give you my favorite example. I was talking to Dave Smith. He's uh, potentially going to be the libertarian candidate. And I, we were talking about the culture war efforts. I said, I put Michael Malice on a billboard in Times Square as one of our recurring guests, but it's because Michael Malice is one of my favorite people. He's, uh, are you familiar with, with his work? No. He's a personality. He's, a, he's an anarchist. He's, uh, uh, but he, 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 he challenges the establishment in a very powerful way, and he's brilliant. And I'm like, having a guy like that on a Times Square billboard, and we did it more than once, sends a message to the machine, you are not the elites anymore. And it was expensive. And if I had half a billion dollars, I would buy Times Square, and I would put all of these people up there and say, we are coming, we are taking over. My question is, I suppose, not for you because you're running for president, yeah. but there's there's got to be a lot of people who have a ton of money who could write a check to someone and say, win. And I'm wondering why that doesn't happen. Again, you're running write for president. It, write so a I check to somebody else and say win. Well, what I mean to say is, oh, just like win in the market. Well, like make a movie. Yeah. Make, make a, a movie. I was just going to say, well, actually, one of the things is making a movie. Put, actually, put, put, uh, look, buy magazine space, buy billboard totally. space. And I've, I've thought about that. I've looked at, I've looked at different ways of having an impact over the last few years. You know, I found but again, it, you're running uh, for president. So I'm not right. 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 No, 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 but, but I mean, I've, but I haven't gone through the journey of thinking about this. So I started strive. You're familiar with strive. The capital uh, investment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, so that's competing with BlackRock using shareholder right, pressure absolutely. on corporations. We raised, I mean, it was, um, but that's another reason half why I a say billion in I'm, three months, right? That's why I'm not 
trying to lump you up. Yeah, like, but, but what else would I tell other people to do or why don't people yeah, do there, it? Yeah, there's a lot of people that I know are doing a little. Yeah, so here's, here's one of the limitations I've found um, is that, and it's just getting real here. I mean, I think that when it comes to business building, let's just take that avenue in particular, it takes oh, some rigor. Yeah. It takes some discipline and skill that a lot of the people who are most motivated by sort of the, I think the heart being in the right place, ideologically and otherwise, it's just the sad truth, man. Do not overlap with the same skill set yeah. that the people on the left have when it comes to like, you know, you know, build a tech company, build a banking institution, and, a financial and, and, and institution. You're right, you're right. And so, and so for me, I'm at that unique intersection, right? I mean, I, whatever the metrics are academically or in terms of financial or technical competence or whatever on the left, like I'm going to be better than that 99.9% .9 of the time, but I have different value set. And so that was a wasn't calling for me. But, but I think one of the limitations at being in the front end of that, investing in other companies and or starting them, I can just tell you the rate limiter on our side is in that domain, the kind of talent that results in successful large scale business building. And I, I don't think that's permanent. I think that that's, that's starting to backfill. I think a lot of young people now are becoming disaffected from the from the woke orthodoxies that are uh, I mean, this is what coming we around. Are. Yeah, you know, we I, I was I was urban liberal Chicago, and now I'm like these people have lost it. Right. You know. So so what what I've built here and the crew here, whatever everything they've built and all of our members have built is again filling that backstop as yeah. you said. Yeah. So so. so I think that I think that those opportunities exist. We have to fit some fix some of those rate limiters. Uh, For me, it was just there's no bigger way of having an impact on the country than running. Well, no, I, I mean, and obviously with Strive, with your books, like you're the last person I'd be referring to. You're doing too much, perhaps. But running perhaps. for president is one of the yeah, biggest yeah. things. Yeah. But so one of the things that we've been talking about doing is a scatter shot of culture building. And so the challenges I'm running into is managerial power to do it because we mm -hmm. can only grow as fast as we can grow with skill of right. the people who are interested. But the idea would be, Within my means, a $10,000 grant once a month to someone working on something culturally mm -hmm. so that the way I, I, I it's, 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 it's a scattershot of let's give 100 people 10 grand and then maybe one of them actually ends up making something big. It's, it's, it, I, like, I like where your heart's at and where the spirit is. I'm just telling you from experience, like these things take real effort, real discipline, oh, yeah. focus, and it's, the it's chance rare. that the idea matches the reality is really itself a scattershot. But that's why I say- so Even the scattershot idea is itself part of a broader scattershot is my I just, point. I, I'm so, and I'm, so, so we'll see. I'm, I'm supportive of it. I think experimentation's good. I think that it will give encouragement to other people. What we need yeah. is for the people who work for Disney, who know this stuff is bad, yep. to have an alternative. Totally. Because they're saying, if I speak up, this is what they tell me all the time. Totally. I've got kids. If I speak up, I'll lose my job. Totally. There needs to be a place where it's like, well, if you speak up, we'll hire you. That's that's a big part of it. And then there's the version of what I was doing with Strive and trying to do, uh, you know, in that mission going forward is use shareholder power to change the existing institutions as they exist. Because that's a big part of the reason they behave they why they do is actually top down as right. well. So So there's no silver bullet to complex problems. I see that there's a, a plethora of partial solutions. That's the best you're going to get. So it's there's a role for everyone to play in bringing their own, building their piece of the quilt. And I think that creating new institutions from scratch, reforming existing institutions in the private That's sector, tough. setting a cultural revival, including through, through political leadership from the top, 
there's a role for each of these things. Even in the university realm, there's people who are starting University of Austin. People are starting, uh, you know, I would say Ralston College. I don't know if you've heard of it in Georgia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you know, yeah. et cetera. Oh, yeah. and, and, then, and then there's reforming existing institutions. It's It's got to be an all of the above approach. And there, there, I just think sometimes we fall into the trap of those of us who have our respective ideas. Myself, I've fallen into this trap too. If thinking that our, because it's the mousetrap that we're closest to or have the skill set that's most tied to, that we then want to sell to ourselves and then to the world the idea that that's the silver bullet. Exactly. And and, and you can't fall in that trap. And I, and, and this Even is the what, presidency. And, you can't fall in right. that trap. The, Go, this is not, I can't fetishize that. This, this, it's this one of I mean. many, one of many bullets we're going to need. This is what I mean when I say going back to the definition of what wokeness is. A lot of people apply it to their worldview as to what it is. And there's something broader here. Yeah. So- I think we're going to wind things down. Yeah. Is there any final thoughts you want to throw in there as we wrap it up? Yeah, I mean, look, I think um, I think that the I mean, I'm, I'm campaigning across the country, and it kind of relates to what we were just talking about. You know, so maybe I'll just wrap with that. Is I think people have this expectation and hope that someone, especially in politics, that someone from on high is going to come and save us. And I think that's part of the appeal that Trump taps into. And he did do a lot in this country. But I think that it's less about any politician, Trump or me or anybody else. I think there's a mentality for our base and our movement. The bad news is nobody is going to come from on high and save us. It's not going to happen. If we're going to be saved, it's going to be because we save ourselves. All right. And I think that once people yeah. get that sense, then that answers your question about why aren't the other people stepping up with money or even with less money or whatever. It's a mentality that you're waiting for somebody else to save you. We have to save ourselves. Here, here. And I think that that's the, that's the mentality. And I think if you're going to embrace that, I think human beings require some, not false optimism, but some reason to believe that they can be optimistic about the change that they're going to be the, the way they're going to you know, participate in us saving ourselves. And the thing I'll say there is, look, we, we are, we live in this moment where the thing we're taught to believe is that we're on a path to a national divorce and, or we're on this inevitable national decline. And, and I was in a pretty bad mood when I wrote my second book, my whole second book the premise of it was, are we Rome or got to the twist midway through, are we Carthage? Cause we should be so lucky as to be Rome. Rome lasted a lot longer <laughs> than America has lived so far. Maybe we're just Carthage. Yeah. And I think that where I am now is I don't think we have to be either Rome or Carthage. I'm like, both are bad. Both are bad. <laughs> both are bad. It's bad news or worse news. But actually, actually, think of it this way, just as a thought experiment. Put on the, put on the possibility, just, just for a second, that we're just a little young. Like going through our version of adolescence. We said we're lost in the desert, trans movement, woke movement, whatever. We're lost. Going through our version of adolescence still figuring out who we really are. And when you think of it that way, it takes the pressure off a little bit and gives us a sense of direction that we're still maturing towards our version of adulthood. And I think if we are not waiting for somebody to come from on high and lead us there, but lead ourselves there, I don't know, it seems a lot more tractable to me. And I think I'm in a much more hopeful place than I was even a year and a half ago when I was in the thick of writing that last book. Yeah, and there's, there's some victories too. North Carolina Democrat switches parties, says, yeah, I mean, you know you what's know, going on. There's a lot, lot to be you happy know, about every day you wake up to, should, and I think that, that becomes a lot easier. We, you know what we could do too? Um, I'm hoping, 
I don't know what's going to happen, that Dave Smith or somebody for the Libertarians, they announced they're, they're going to be running uh, for the presidency. And then I'd love to, if you'd be interested in sitting down with them. And yeah, potentially. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I want to, it's somebody worthy of having, like, I, I like this chat because it's a worthy chat. Dave so, Smith is like, the, you're familiar with the Mises Caucus? The what? The Mises. The Mises Caucus. Von, von Mises. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They They basically took over the Libertarian Party because they have something behind them. I'm a, I'm a von Mises. I, I like a lot of what von Mises wrote. So yeah. But Dave Dave Smith is become becoming per, uh, particularly prominent, at, and and a lot of people are speculating he's going to be the Libertarian candidate for president. That's fine. I mean, I think that I, I, I'm interested in uh, anything that moves the ball forward. I'm interested in. Let's get Trump over here though, because I think that's I what, that's what we need to do. Yeah, well, that's the, that's the yeah. top of the mountain. I I, I, I think DeSantis <laughs> would be boring, so uh, so let's not waste our time with that. But but um, but let's let's, have, let's, let's make, have a real conversation. Right, about man. where we're taking the country forward. Because I'm, I'm not I'm not. If we can, if I want to write books and, and advance ideas, there's better ways to do that than run for president. We're running this to run the country. I think that I'm where Trump was in 2015. I want to take the agenda even further. I think I can. But you know what? Let's talk with let's talk with the last guy who did it. Let's do and it. And I'll recruit him to my advisor, and I'll you know I'll probably help him if, if he ends up being the guy. But I'm Bold in this statement. to be the guy. So all right, so man. Let's do it. All right. Thanks for hanging out. This has been an absolute blast. Yeah. Thanks, man. Do you, is there any are there any links or anything you want yeah, to mention? Yeah, Vivek. You know what? I, actually, I'll, I'll, since you're since you're uh, mentioning Vivek2024.com. So V-I-V-E-K is my first name. Vivek2024.com. I said this at the beginning. You don't have to vote for me next. You don't even have to know who you're voting for. Put a dollar in, put $5 in. I want to be next to Trump on that debate stage so that we're advancing, not not just on the side. We're going to be on the debate stage, you know, based on how we're doing with, you know, all of our metrics. But Put these ideas in front of yeah, the country. We, 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 need, we need to have the conversation we have in front of the country. So I don't care who you're voting for in the in the primary or whatever. Decide that next year. Literally, you can vote to have the debate that we're having. Vote in favor of that. You go to Vivek2024.com, make it a $1, make it a $5 donation. That will help make that happen. Right on, man. Yeah. And uh, if you like our show, become a member at TimCast.com. Join our Discord server where you can chat with all of our other members, share ideas. One of the cool things we're doing for our members is that Fridays are going to be our member sponsorship shout outs. So instead of advertising some big corporation, we're going to choose one of your companies and that will be the sponsor spot. And um, hopefully we'll be able to get that done today, which will be uh, at 8 p.m. tonight. So with that being said, Vivek, it's been an absolute blast. Uh, it was an honor and a privilege. You are a scholar and a gentleman. And <laughs> Good seeing you, man. Thank likewise. You. And for everybody Appreciate else, thanks for hanging out. We'll see you all next time. Thank you. I'm Vivek Ramaswamy, candidate for president, and I approve this message. Paid for by Vivek 2024.